0: Jack O'Connor said, "Don't ever read a paper." You're kind of thinking, "Why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me?" It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only be
1: thing football players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts,
2: OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. A very good morning to you, very welcome along It is Tuesday morning here on OTBM. It's uh, 7.30 and we're here with you all the way through until 10 How was everybody's bank holiday weekend? Shane! Shane! Good morning How
3: are you? Good morning, sorry, yeah, yeah I know what you're going to say Well it was Christmas for you because it was the snooker Yeah, yeah But then it got ruined It was a good and bad weekend for me Ruined? Um, yeah, I was at the Man and Derry match, you know, man, Saturday afternoon, the game wasn't televised anymore. in your performance rankings, what? I know. Thankfully, enough happened for us to be able to avoid it. Um, but it would have been Derry in the green, I think, rather oh, than... absolutely, Derry in the green. Derry are genuine All-Ireland contenders, and we need to, um, need to bump them up the power rankings. But the, the, way, the way it worked, ironically, and the drawing of, is this morning, I think, for the for the provincial round-robin, whatever... Noon, I think. Noon, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever we're calling it, and whatever, like... Monaghan, in my estimations, were better losing that game against Derry than beating Derry and losing an Ulster final against Armagh. Because, because of the short turnaround? Well, that and also they stay third seeds. Um, and because they're third seeds, Monaghan, they avoid Tyrone, Mayo and Ruscommon. So they can't possibly be drawn in a group with either of those three. Whereas if they were a second seed lose the Ulster final, okay. they could have had been, in a, been in a group with any of those, as well as a Dublin or a Kerry. So, now they also have a chance of getting Louth and Sligo... Yeah, exactly. I actually, I th- I think and for a lot of Claire. teams... They yeah. fancied a chance against Claire. Clare fancied a chance against them. Yeah, exactly. One of those games. Uh, home away in neutral. I also think the draw probably shouldn't have been now. It should have waited until all of the t- pairs were decided and... and- there was a little bit of jeopardy in it. I think Lee Keegan was making that point at the weekend as well. I don't really understand that. What's the point? So essentially, and, and, and I'm just going to bring up the point here in front of me because I know a lot of people were kind of making this uh, idea. So the draw takes place today, but because it's before the provincial finals, some of the provincial finals. So, yeah. for example, if the Leinster runner-up gets a much easier draw than the Leinster winner, wouldn't it make sense for Dublin to, to throw the game, throw the game against Loud Essentially, uh, because it would fi- They would favour probably. You'd imagine a team like Dublin an e- easier route to Sam than a Leinster title. I don't think that. No, I'm, I'm not saying they would, but I'm just yeah. saying that's definitely uh, uh, something worth considering. I don't. I.
2: I. Is it at, at the final stage? You can't. No one's going to throw games, and I. I don't think Dublin are training for the Lancer Championship. I think they're training for the All Ireland Round Robin series.
3: Yeah, I just think it's a bit strange. Like knowing the knowing the pairings before before the, the provincial finals, if they could wait, why not wait? Well. I, everybody else needs to make their plans you know you've got to book hotels
2: at provincial grounds they've got to make sure that they have policing in place for
3: the um, neutral venues yeah Dublin's I, neutral venue of course which will be Croke Park are we are we guaranteed that it's going to be Croke Park yeah apparently so home and home and neutral for Dublin is Croke
2: Park isn't that bullshit oh 100% like, isn't it and and I think to Glenn Ryan's point everybody he says he's speaking for the whole country I think in fairness he probably was but we've forgotten about this because it was the Super 8s it's been so long since the Super 8s <laughs> where um, who was it it was uh, Declan Boner came out and was like this is ridiculous
3: Yeah, they get two games at Croke Park that was 2018 I think, I think five years they've had to address this no interest in fixing this no, no. Ciarán Whelan even acknowledged that an RT over the weekend mm.
4: they actually played then Ryan's interview went straight to Kiran. C- what you think it's like yeah can't I argue with that.
3: Fair enough. It is. A, it's a big problem. Like, yeah. But it's Glenn like, Rainspot was more so even the decisions, not just like, not just the fact that the dressing room is probably favoured for the dubs and they get all the. Well, it's home a home treatment. game.
2: It's a home game. The whole, the whole thing about home advantage is that there is a distinct advantage to playing at home. That is like in all sports, and is codified, and we all know what it is. And it's it's sleeping in your own bed. It's uh, the decisions that the referee gets because you have a bigger crowd. It's familiarity with the ins and outs it's the home dressing room it's like a million different things but it all adds up to about a two and a half three point swing in all sports ever in the history of the game mm. and so it should have been a neutral venue it, should, it would easily have been like if, I, I I don't really understand why the Dubs aren't pushing for this in a way like it, it would be in there it would be to their advantage to be seen to be whiter than white on this because then everybody equates this with the funding argument and I personally think they're they're different arguments and it's, we should be having them all separately mm. um, but I don't know I think that like if if that if it is actually confirmed that Dublin are going to have two games
3: at home in the round robin series then that's bullshit mm. and that seems to be the suggestion there's no there's no talk that the that the neutral game is going to be anywhere well, I, other I, than Croke Park I think that there's a, there is an opportunity for them to fix that yeah. And, until it, it's all written down and it comes out. And that topic
4: could, possibly should, even be in the Jet Labs performance rankings, but it's not. <laughs> These feel like are getting increasingly competitive with each passing week. The three of us were tied by our own crowd. Osher Snooker should be in as well. But where I are mean, Spurs? Yeah. will Spurs? Uh, Waterford, Davies Waterford, last minute omission. What people will see, I'm sure, when they see our final five choices, very hard to argue.
2: Yeah. Before we get to that here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning performance rankings are imminent James Tracey is going to join us in studio to reflect on an absolutely amazing game against Toulouse on it feels like it was months ago but it was only Saturday <laughs> uh, Vinnie Perth at 20 past 8 uh, Fergal O'Brien at 8.50 Sarah Donovan talking about the hurling and we've got the Sunday pay-per-view at half 9 we'll do football properly on the show tomorrow there was a lot to uh, get our teeth stuck into yeah we will Anthony Miles will be on there you go need the power rankings up. Need to we'll need to fix some things in the power rankings. We'll do it tomorrow actually. Here, yeah. time for the Gillette Labs performance
5: rankings. You know, that wasn't an all-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. <laughs> Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not.
1: OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances just
0: lacked that intensity.
2: Boom. <sighs>
3: We're starting the red, lads, and uh, a story that, that started to break overnight. I think we're starting with the women's rugby, and unfortunately for the women's rugby team and the Six Nations campaign, which is now finished, um, they've appeared quite consistently in the red for us. And the, the, the breaking news overnight, and it's a story that's been covered in the Irish Independent uh, this morning from Brendan Fanning and Rory O'Connor, is that the Irish women's head coach, Greg McWilliams, is to step down from the job with immediate effect. We understand it's going to happen uh, very soon indeed. Um, So they lost to Scotland of course the weekend in their final game. It was the wooden spoon decider and the wooden spoon it is for Ireland and for Greg McWilliams. Uh, A worst ever concession of points as well in this campaign, a minus 167. It also means Ireland are going to be in tier 3 of the new international women's 15 competition which starts in the autumn. So I think it's fair to say lads, it's been a fairly hashtag grim campaign. Yeah,
4: first wooden spoon since 2004 as well. And in the futures with John McKee, Neve Briggs, and Dennis you are still all for grabs too um McWilliams coaching staff. But like, that has been an unmitigated disaster really from start to finish. Like there wasn't high hopes going into this tournament. We previewed it, we weren't feeling too confident. Uh but you know, like to be nilled by England. I know England are a fantastic side, way, way ahead, but it was just so demoralizing and then to be unchanged against Scotland. And actually doing well against them, like we were three nil up. It was the first time we had the only time we had led all tournament long. We it looks like we were going into the break three nil ahead. Like into the red in the first half injury time Scotland go over mm. uh, and then Nicola Friday scores a well worth trying in the second half we're level at ten all after fifty five minutes this is very promising twenty five minutes ago we could actually win this but then Scotland just accelerated beyond us very very quickly retook the lead and um, you know like there was kind of individual brilliance too at stages by Scotland which we just don't have like and you you look it's it's very clearly unfair and unrealistic to compare the men's and women's game in the moment in the country but we are literally on the complete opposite end of the scale and like it was 2013 you won the Grand Slam how can we get back there maybe this is the first step to with the news that's breaking this morning
3: So when you say expectations weren't that high I remember we previewed the Women's Six Nations the day or two before it began and the expectation from Greg McWilliams and the coaching team was high they were Absolutely, like yeah. we want to finish third in fact we feel like we can definitely finish third behind Scott, um, England and France of course who are on another level uh, not least with funding but um, that, like So clearly they felt even before the tournament started that they were further along on the road than, than they were. Now we, we know that a lot of the players from the Sevens weren't there and there was a lot of inexperience, relative inexperience and lack of caps in that Irish squad compared to some of the other teams but still the coaching team and the team itself felt like third was realistic but clearly when you look at the games that they've played over the last number of weeks third was a pipe dream.
4: I understand why the coaching staff would and the players would of course, like you're going to expect the best from yourself and you want to overachieve if anything, but like we weren't too excited about it going into it ourselves, like looking ahead from the outside. But I, I don't know, I, I don't know about you. But I didn't expect it to be this bad.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's an indictment of the IRFU. We've made this point from the very start, and uh, there's always a backlash in the comments from people like, "Oh, you got to blame the players this," but actually, you don't. Uh, at this point, this rests squarely at the door of the chief executive of the IRFU. Kevin Potts, who's been with the RFU for a long period of time and so, you know, uh, has, has responsibility for this. So too does David Nusifora, who's in charge of rugby. And the fact that they, they're pointing to new appointments over the last 12 months to try and rectify this. Like, they've both been in situ for a long period of time in, in the IRFU, and I accept that Kevin Potts is newly appointed to the chief executive role. But he has been within the organisation for a long time, so... You know, where's their track record that shows us that they're actually going to be able to fix this? Where's the evidence that their concerns about the women's game are showing results? Um, so, uh, you know, you, you'll, they'll have to come out and speak publicly mm. and show leadership on this because it, you take this with the, with the letter that was published, you take this with uh, all of the stuff over the last couple of years, and it's been clear that there have been warnings from within and without the women's game That all was not well and what happens is that you end up with these results like they put all their eggs in the basket of qualifying for the olympics for the sevens team and they're still not qualified you know if they were already qualified maybe the sevens players would have played for the 15s and the team would have been much better and we could have had a a better result but uh, that hasn't happened and so there's a possibility we don't end up in the olympics and we don't end up with a 15s team and you've tried to serve all the Masters and ended up falling in the middle of it and going, oh my God, what, what is this ruin that we have at the moment? Like, if you're a young, talented athlete and you're looking at the various sports that you can play, why would you pick rugby at the moment?
4: Totally. Mm. And also, like, we've had five games showcased on national stage on TV. You can watch these easily. And if that's the only promotion you're getting, like and like the support has been phenomenal and you can hear it in each match, can even hear it um, over the weekend, and Ireland scored their try. Like, there is support at these games, like and there's so much goodwill towards them, but like, the players don't want to hear that. Like, you know, they want to go way beyond it. And if you're very much a casual observer and you're on the fence about whether you want to play rugby, as a girl watching that, like, you're just watching defeat after defeat, and you know, great work ethic and endeavour to improve. But like, that's the showcase event five games, no wins, all losses when are we going to see them next you know it's very tough like Every fair, time we t- uh,
2: fair play to Greg Williams if he's stepping down today because yeah. uh, that, that will remove one of the fig leaves that they had it was like oh here's somebody that we've you know we've uh, highly rated and we've put him in charge and he's going to come out week on week and tell us you know actually things are changing that'll stop now and they're going to have to find somebody else to do that job so what else is in the Reds
3: for us this morning? Yeah we'll move on to uh, Nottingham Forest and Leeds I know there are plenty of fans in Ireland of both of those uh, clubs steeped in history but uh, is there time in the Premier League history because both of them had very poor weekends and deservedly? I think in the red, uh, will they be in the red at the start at the end of the season? We'll, we'll find it over the next few weeks. But uh, Forrest started with uh, a two-one defeat at Brentford. That's on cruel. Saturday, cruel. It, it's very cruel for Forrest But you look at the Southampton game they have at home next, and you're like, well, three points maybe. Chelsea after that as well, three points. <laughs> <laughs> no offence to Chelsea, um, late winner as well uh, in that game for uh, for Brentford from Josh de Silva. Um, Steve Cooper had his had his qualms and concerns and issues in terms of VAR for that goal, and uh, was there a player offside who was in, in the goalkeeper's eye line? Um, he wasn't complaining too too badly about it, but uh, they had four points from their previous two games, uh, and that would have been acceptable for Forest given how, how badly they've been doing. Um, so, if you, look, if you look at them, they're in the relegation zone. They're on thirty points, so that then we're basically saying are gone. Mm-hmm. So 24 points on the bottom Everton on 29 points That's after their 2-0 draw With Leicester last night yeah. uh, And Forest on goal difference um, Just in the relegation spots Ahead of Leeds and Leicester It's heating up You
4: look at Forrest Like uh, Shane 81 minutes on the clock there On Saturday Away to Brentford 1-0 up Having just beaten Brighton midweek, great, that's, that's great, good. great result. Everything's flying. Everything's coming up Millhouse for Forrest They were safe Ivan Tony's equaliser and the, the Josh De Silva goal in the ninety fourth mm. minute. Shane, like it squeezes underneath Cater Navis. We actually have an image of that as well of Navis. Like he's just so forlorn and devastated. There he is for people who can't see. He's just watching the ball in the net, mm. and that could be the everlasting image of this season for Nottingham Forest that they could go down. I personally would love to see Forrest stay up. Like, I think they're good crack. I like their crest I like their jersey <laughs> Good I like reason, their ground yeah. I, like, I like a lot of their players and I think Steve Cooper's a great manager at that level so I hope they do stay up but that was heartbreaking and as soon as that result went in Shane I was thinking they got to be in the red for the performance rankings just because it's been a disaster in the sense that two days later no matter what happened last night between Leicester and Everton they were going to wake up Tuesday morning in the relegation zone and here they are but like we've said it several times now the last few days this is an ever so exciting relegation battle isn't it? But out Southampton But all the way up to Probably 15th West Ham Very
3: very engaging Potentially it, it, like It's going to go down To the last game of the season Regardless you'd imagine With four games left now For all of them um, And the points the way they are And the score difference The, score difference the, way, it, the way it is Uh, Steve Cooper was making the point this is what's what's crucial here a goal or a decision is going to hinge and decide who who goes up and down he says after the match about that that winning goal for Brentford we really need to know how they have made the call and the image they have made it from I hope at this stage of the game and the season that they did make a call based on an assumption but the guys are fuming over it the guys being the players the subs and the staff could see it fairly live and we thought it was going to be the opposite decision Um, so little moments like that You you don't want officials' decisions and VR calls and images that they use to decide who goes Well they obviously will (laughs) That's the lesson of the season that they
2: obviously will end up costing somebody a place in the Premier League Forest plays Southampton next Mm -hmm. If if that were to win that Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. suddenly then it would still all be to play for the last day of the season Southampton's fixtures aren't a complete disaster if they were to suddenly find a run from somewhere It's Forest, Fulham Brighton and then on the last day of the season Liverpool who may or may not have something to play
3: for Leeds United meanwhile I mean, they're screwed. mean Grazia. they are all heavy. They're, they're getting, screwed. and sacked in the morning, it feels like. <laughs> Two and a half months in. So looking for a third manager of the season. They've lost four of their last five games. A 4-1 defeat at Bournemouth. Followed that reasonable draw against Leicester that I know Leeds were disappointed with. But um, the talk is... Um, Michael Scabala as interim head coach, yeah. the guy that we've we've seen before already this season. There's talk of Lee Bowyer, Alan Pardew, Oof. Big Sam. Of course, has been mentioned as as has been mentioned with every single um, managerial exodus that there has been. Jefferson Lerma scored a couple of great goals for Bournemouth in that oh, match as well, finish. as well. Both the first finishes, time. two lovely finishes. Oh. Yeah. Um, Tiny, how many matches
2: did Scabala manage? Because this would be their fourth manager then. If he did one, what did he do? Two games. He did Old
3: Trafford for sure. He did. He did. He did one of it as well. Maybe uh, too much Cameron Hill, I'm sure, a resident Leeds United supporter would tell us here. Yeah, it was after Marsh left and Gracia came in. Um, I don't know how many matches exactly it was. But, I mean, Patrick Bamford pulls a goal back for Leeds with a header. Lovely cross and, as well.
4: And Nanto had a chance afterwards. They could've, really could have got something from this game, as bizarre as that sounds, in 4-1. Yeah.
3: So look, look at Leeds' fixtures. Mm-hmm. Trip to Manchester City. Then they welcome Newcastle to Ellen Road. Then they have West Ham away and a home game with Spurs on the final day. Leeds just screwed, lads
2: Well, they could get six points from that Spurs and uh, they're not going to get anything from Newcastle they're not going to get anything from City the, uh, Spurs and who was the last one? Uh, West Ham away and
3: Tottenham on the final day Oh, no, you know, you know
2: you know. Not, no, stranger things have happened
3: Maybe, but then those next Six points be enough I mean, it probably no, 36 points might not be enough
2: oh. It probably will actually because everybody's losing games mm-hmm. Somebody from the Athletic had a stat about uh,
4: four of the teams their last eight games the only win was one match against each mm-hmm. other Yeah class love that speaking of stats the 23 goals that Leeds conceded throughout April was the most ever in one month for a Premier League team right yeah that would be the Grazia legacy unfortunately I like Grazia likeable figure wanted it, to, wanted it to go well for him bad manager though I don't know got Watford to an FA Cup final not sure well, they lost, did he 6-0 the the yeah, well, <laughs> I mean. just got to the final yeah um, also just a word Ivan Tony 20 Premier League goals this season only Harry Kane and Erling Haaland have scored more I know he's a bit of a, you know, he's a penalty whiz, but like Andy Johnson was in the 90s. But I think he's far more than that, and like got a great, got I oh, sorry, a good free kick at the weekend. Should have been saved by Navis. But it was it was uh, free from a good bit of distance anyway.
2: Some other football we need to talk about. Um, James Coleman a horrific injury, oh, horrible. Yeah, another. It's a knee injury. Um, we haven't had a confirmation, no. but afterwards, Sean Dy said it did look serious. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, he's been uh, ging
4: up the crowd from the stretcher.
3: Isn't the most Seamus Coleman thing of oh, all time? It's incredible. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's
4: um, it's a squeamish <laughs> looking injury, like the, Like could be the second major horrific injury of his career. You know, um, you just feel so sorry for him. And actually from the Irish perspective, if you think of next month's match against uh, Greece, and on that too, Chieh Dozeo went off injured with a hamstring injury against Rotherham, as they stayed up in the championship. Uh, his contract is up in the summer as well, so that could be his last game for the club. Be interesting to see where he ends up. But I know like the Coleman injury it's a, such a setback and also, also for Everton as well, like and geez, they were fortunate enough they should have gone three one down in this game. James Madison had a penalty to put Leicester three one ahead. And I don't know if you saw the picture of the close up battle of Jordan Pickford's yeah. uh, of close up picture of Jordan Pickford's uh, water bottle there was a clear stat 60% of Madison's penalties went down the middle and Pickford stays still there's nothing that looks worse uh, from the the misser's perspective when the keeper doesn't move and it goes right down the middle and he just pams it away Terrible penalty Yeah it was awful I thought I really thought Vardy was going to take it because um, that's two goals in two games for Vardy after going 19 without 100% 100 of Tielemans go uh, one way can't tell if it's right or left. From and Tiedemann's picked up the ball initially. Looked like he was going to take it, and Madison took it off him.
3: But if, sorry, if you're if you're a stri- so if you're a penalty taker, why not do research like the keeper does? The research, research yourself, and go. What would, what? Where would I go if I was the keeper? And then just go the other way, <laughs> or or like change it up in a regular pattern. You're like, you're like one of the early MMA fans. Oh, educate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> when well, Casper Schmeichel was on TV last night after the match, and he was he was been asked about his process, and he said, "I'm not going to tell you until I retire," but I have a very different process. So he left us all wanting to know more. Um, but every goalkeeper researches differently for these penalties. But yeah, if you have a player like Madison who just puts it down the, the middle of 60% of the time, I yeah. mean... Well, uh, you know, that's only two-thirds of the time. One-third of the time he does
2: other stuff. and uh, it's all
3: stats, isn't it? You've got to stand still then if it's
2: 60% well, as a keeper. The thing is, um, Pickford does go right and then come back almost fainting
4: them out, you know? Mm. There was an amazing moment in this game last night where... Dominic Calvert-Lewin Had a tap-in For his second of the oh. game And I think it hit his heel Or he didn't get or He just timed his momentum Wrong yeah, And got the weak side Of his foot And then up the other end Jimmy Vardy Hits the bar <laughs> Look, by the order of chances and the penalty, Leicester probably should have won this game. So Everton can consider themselves fortunate to get something from it. And At the same time, they wake up this morning in 19th place after 34 games.
2: Hard to imagine All right, ever- so we're still in the red. Do you want to do a very quick mention? Oh, no, your-
4: I was just a clap thing. I mean, I thought, you know, Spurs were a contender, obviously, for Amber. But, like, the sprinting up to the fourth official uh, after Liverpool's goal and then the hamstring injury. And I knew watching it, I knew that they were gonna be like, Oh hilarious! what a character he, uh, he pulled his hamstring. That's brilliant. And I knew that was going to be the question to him as well afterwards. And fair as Patch Davis and this guy, he was he he probed him a little bit about what was said there. What was said uh, between you and the ref and of course he had a go at Paul journey too, which is unfair, but the thing with Klapp like you know, like he's a bit of a clown like he's a dope that's he's the, the a word. clown. Like I, you know, I thought you know, like this incredibly charismatic guy, brilliant manager. I enjoyed him a lot initially but this sprinting up to the fourth official, like he's a bully. He's a bully.
3: Yeah, like what was he trying to? What was he trying to get out
4: of that? Was he just like? Well, and then also said he afterwards. Well, I didn't actually say anything to him, so I think that's fine. And I sprinted up to him, and he's like, "Look, it's not cool that I did that." But I didn't say anything, and and then I got the hamstring injury. And I think he was talk, basically describing karma without saying it. So he has some level of self awareness, which actually probably makes it worse because he's going to do this again. And he just picks on people of a lesser standing, which is the definition of bullying.
3: Yeah, I wonder are Liverpool fans as sick of those antics as say United fans I don't think so I, I, I mean
4: you probably get the odd Liverpool fan who, who doesn't like seeing it but like what really annoyed me was like I was reading the comments online and it was like oh what a legend what a character because of the hamstring injury and he limps away from it you know and he does the chest pump with all his players and he has this like toxic side to him but just the sprinting up to the fourth
3: official like why does the fourth official get it so much in the year like what can they do do you know people pick their like uh, three sports people or five sports people that are alive they'd love to have dinner with he makes my list of people I'd absolutely not want to have dinner oh, with
4: I, I, he's, I'd say he's brilliant I'd say you get loads of insight from him I'd, no, say in a relaxed, I'd say in a relaxed environment he's brilliant company like there's so much to him he, he's an amazing manager like the way he can consistently year after year motivate the same set of players are a new set of players he's won everything you can at Liverpool he's been an absolute legend at the club but I hate this side of him Yeah, Hayes was like and he'll do it again
2: was he potentially taking away some of the uh, negativity from the team because they won the game 4-3 having been 3-0 up against the flakiest Spurs side in the history of flaky Spurs sides (laughs) was there analysis done I didn't see the aftermath of the game was there analysis done of their own collapse another collapse from Liverpool in a game I think was
4: Spurs it? are so bad that the focus was entirely shifted to them. Yeah, I think so. I think that. I think if you're asking what the analysis was like, then I think, it was, that, yeah, I think back, it was that. So yeah. you
2: know what I mean? So yeah. And now suddenly it peps. It's not peps. It's Klopp's hamstring as opposed to, what yeah. happened to your team at 3-0 that but they couldn't the, control the
4: game? That's the really annoying thing about modern football too. We're all guilty of It's like incidents are analysed more than the football itself. So skips, the Skip and Jota incident was probably the most talked about after Clapping over to the fourth official so then third or fourth in the running order is Liverpool throwing away a 3-0 lead and they had never done that in Anfield before where they went 3-0 up and drew a game so that of course changed that at the end so it was all about the mistakes and Lucas Mora's mistake at the end and then Ryan Mason afterwards saying oh, we were by far the better team and then yeah. Klopp saying well like, if Spurs don't just count all the time and concentrate on actually proactively creating chances they'd be a bit better
3: All right. Can we just so mention before we move on as well a statement that came in from the Leeds players I don't know if you saw this last night lads the statement um, yeah. about the, the subsequent post on social media the walking past the young kid um, in his Leeds jersey, looking for autographs in the hotel. There seems to be a trend that's cropping up quite significantly and quite uh, a lot recently. And probably because Leeds lost as well um, in the fashion in which they did. That so this uh, has made a made a story, but the whole apology thing in, in football is is really reaching uh, other levels. But I mean, it's not hard to stop for a few for a few kids and sign a few autographs, is it? No, be human. Um, the NBA playoffs are on at the moment, and it's going to be LeBron versus Steph.
2: It's a seven game series. After Steph went off for fifty points against Sacramento. Uh, on the road, um, and we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll start talking about it over the next week or two. But if you're only vaguely interested in the NBA, the time to tune in is now. And LeBron versus Steph might not happen again. I assume LeBron is not injured. I don't think he is. So um,
3: anyway, yep. that's it. We'll Go move on. on to Amber, and I think we're going to Arsenal. And mm-hmm. um, the Arsenal women's team had a Champions League semi-final last night and a second leg against Wolfsburg, an opportunity to to reach European decider and. Jesus, they were all oh so close. Extra time it went to. Uh, two all after normal time. Jonas Eidevald speaking after the game about the immense pride because uh, it was a very, very late winner for Wolfsburg. You're thinking this is this is heading to penalties. Um, but a, a very late winner um, for Paulina Bremer to crush Arsenal 5-4 in aggregate. Crushed them as in their hearts and their resolve and their uh, ambitions of winning in Europe this year because they were so, so close. Um, and they showed some serious battle to, to come back from 2-0 down in the uh, the away leg last week to get back to 2-2 and bring something back to London a, a record crowd for a domestic women's game um, in England as well over 60,000 worth the Emirates sold out for that match last night as well uh, Katie McCabe hits the crossbar yeah, very very funny. late on and you're thinking this is, this is the moment but if you look at the the, the injury list c- uh, Captain Kim Little you have Leah Williamson and Caitlin Ford in recent weeks and then of course the long term ACLs uh, Beth Mead and, and Vivian Meadamas so I think that's what Jonas Eideval was getting at when he spoke about the immense pride because the, the, the bench is thin. The strength and depth is very, very thin with all these injuries that have that have struck Arsenal. So um, I guess they had it all to do last night for that second leg, but unfortunately they just couldn't get the job done. Yeah, they lie
4: in fourth place as well in WSL, but uh, I would have been brilliant to start with Katie McCabe's winner, when not I, today? Ah. I was so close captain and smashes the woodwork, but like very unfortunate and... Um, Wolfsburg have been getting the better of them in the Champions League too. Like You're looking at, like what's this, back in 2007, I think, wasn't it? Arsenal's last triumph there. So they've gone a long time without. And uh, so close so far, that's why they're in the amber.
3: But the problem is now that they, they have a little bit of a battle in the WSL to actually qualify for Europe for next season. So they, they're sitting in fourth at the moment, as I look at it. Two points behind Chelsea and they've played one game more. Uh, and it's only, of course, the, as I say, the top three that compete in Europe. So, I mean, Arsenal have a job, especially with those injuries, to actually even qualify for Europe next year. So the last number of games in the season. You mentioned the full house, obviously. Yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah. The course, that's why it's why it's in amber because I mean, there, there are positives to take from this. It it'd be really, really good to see um, fervent atmosphere it appeared, and of course, majority Arsenal fans in the, in the Emirates last night, um, and, and for a really unbelievable European game under the lights as well. That's just what you want to see. So, yeah, probably amber because considering the injuries, not the worst performance or result in the world, but but yeah, they'll be they'll be absolutely gutted, and Katie McCabe was clearly gutted afterwards. All right, in the green. Yeah, move on to the green and uh, Clare and Louth, I think, deservedly both uh, for their GA exploits in their respective codes over the weekend. Clare themselves, I've seen the the narrative passed across the weekend, lads, that Clare have saved the hurling summer. With this result, possibly, I'm not going to go that far this morning, but Clare won goal and 24 points, Limerick 220. Um, We were kind of trying to decipher if these stats before us were were correct before the show, but first time Clare have beaten Limerick in a championship game in a Limerick City venue. Since 1901. There was incredulity in the studio. I, I still don't believe it. I know, it, it sounds a bit wrong, doesn't it? Our sources are correct, Shane, though. Yeah, they, they appear to be correct. Um, and look, 30,500 people at that match in, in Limerick. Kiss of life to the summer, I think Malachy Clerken uh, described it as. Uh, and then you see the injuries to Sean Finn and Kian Lynch for Limerick as well, which might be a slight concern for, for John Kylie, no doubt. Why wasn't it on TV? ah that's it was on TV it was
4: on Diego. yeah it wasn't on national TV for the most people to see it like oh my god and I was listening to it on the radio and there was problems there as well it was just so frustrating and I know look I know they can't please everyone I totally get that and you're sharing a lot of stuff on one channel or two channels but like there's another channel they could put it on too and like the double header was great on Sunday but that game like you could have anticipated that was going to be a cracker because it was so close last year as well Mm
3: -hmm.
4: you know that's where the eyes were this weekend and it didn't uh like it 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 didn't fail to deliver like it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant like Limerick could have gone ahead Flanagan I think could have scored a goal after about 15 seconds Yeah. like it had everything from start to finish and only a point in it at the end
3: Flanagan's goal could have been a a square ball but then again you look at it in slow motion and you still can't decipher whether or not it's a square ball so maybe leave the umpires off on that one
2: I don't know it felt felt like a square ball at the time and um, anyway I understand why it wasn't or wasn't given but we'll talk more about this a little bit later on. Um, if you just listen to this section, go and uh, search for Sarah Donovan in our podcast feed and we'll go get into this in more details. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loud, obviously, we could have done plenty more on them as well. We will do more. I, I suspect they're surging up the power rankings. They were pretty lucky. They were obviously dominant, but also lucky in that kind of weird way that only happens when you can see goals. Um, and well, They led by four with 62 minutes
3: gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, they could have thrown it away.
2: Um, and Sam Mulroy came to life in... in yeah. um, Injury in extra time. Extra time, yeah. 20 minutes, first 20 minutes, yeah. yeah. Sensational from him. And you know They'll feel pretty good about life against the dubs in the final.
3: We've got to move on. Lancer and Raj. We're going to talk Lancer in just a moment. Raj in the green. Uh, 100%. I'm getting a lot of hate, by the way, in the comments. Shane should be ashamed he didn't force Luca Brussell into the green slot. Um, surprised given how much Shane is pl- plugging the snooker of late. Luca Brussell is in the performance rankings. Fergal O'Brien is coming in the studio. So I've, I've, I've managed to squeeze that one. Uh, Michael says, Shane is definitely on my list of not to have dinner with. Bad enough listening to him at breakfast. Uh, Michael, I wouldn't have breakfast with you e- either, but th- thanks for that this morning uh, you do every morning though Shane yeah of course yeah, thanks. thanks guys thanks Michael for that comment uh, yeah Leinster and Raj I mean we've got the the, the fairy tale uh, the final that we wanted I don't know I would have been much no? happier if uh, we weren't facing Raj again to be honest as a Leinster fan it would have been much easier <laughs> but, uh, I, I suppose but, but I mean from, from an excitement and a narrative point yes. of view uh, yes. I mean we want, we want Raj yes, yes.
2: and obviously I mean you know Raj we love you and all <laughs> yeah.
3: but uh, Leinster were dominant per, uh, very impressive <laughs> similarly to, to La Rochelle but uh, 41 points to 22 and it, it was uh, it was comfortable. Um, it wasn't comfortable.
2: I, I, My whoop measures my stress. <laughs> and I was like 72 minutes of stress. Eventually, in the second half, i like, okay, I can finally... Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, we were about to talk about this in much more detail, so uh, James Tracy's outside. We're going to get into him. That is this week's Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. Up next, Keith Tracy on Liverpool Spurs and then James Tracy in the studio.
1: otbas Performance Rankings with Gillette.
2: Right, four minutes past eight, delighted to say James Tracy is with us to uh, pick through a brilliant performance by Leinster at the weekend. It was right up there in terms of their European performances, wasn't
6: it? Yeah, I think I think they were fairly satisfied with uh, with how it went. You know, We had a couple of uglier wins uh, throughout the year, but that was definitely a very pleasing performance and probably inflated a tiny bit by uh, the yellow card periods, but I still think they are in control and... Um, really executed the, the game plan and it was a lot of slick play and, and the kicking was excellent um, I just thought they controlled them really well they were never going to hold Toulouse out you know they're, like, Toulouse are such a, an amazing attacking side they're always going to get a few scores That first 10 minutes was this
2: wild roller coaster of up down up, down, and you're kind of like oh let's wrap them the ball here this is... but then when they did get the ball they would score
6: yeah, so I think like what set the tone anyway for me in discipline was uh, that first kind of so, so Ramos had done that uh, incredible fifty twenty two and and they'd scored off the back of that and uh, all, you know straight away off the kick off uh, you turn over the ball and, and uh, they give away like a seatbelt tackle on Ringrose and it was just like every time they'd have a good moment they'd fall out with two bad moments, and it was just that was kind of their downfall uh, I feel like they're kind of getting in in the way of themselves, just in that respect I think it's such a pleasure to watch Dupont uh, at nine, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, but he's so dangerous and and just so abrasive. You know, uh, as I, and if you could just see, you know, that you're kind of following around like herding sheep because like it's just you, you don't want to get like you don't want to break the chain in the line because once he takes on one person and you miss him, he's gone. Yeah, uh, he's incredible. Like
2: uh, beating three or four of the world's best tacklers, you know, in the space of five yards. Oh my God! This is... But then he would run into traffic. and like, Was that a function of them moving him out of nine as much as anything? Because during the game, Andy Dunn was like, they've made four positional switches here to accommodate the injury that they've had, which doesn't really make that much sense. And then afterwards, Leo Cullen was like, well, we've actually seen him play a 10 recently, and we had planned for that. So they'd obviously done their homework,
6: and they knew that this was a possibility. But it doesn't make sense does it? So the reason why they did it is they went for 6-2 split on on the bench so you're losing one of your kind of utility backs and you're you're basically banking that you're going to like beat the other pack up. So you're, you're stacking your your bench with forwards, and you're just trying to go after or after their their pack. Whether it be scrum, line out, breakdown, everything. So you're telling the guys you're starting. You empty the tank because we we nearly have a, a a full pack ready to come on. But the downside to that is you get one injury in the backs, and you have everyone playing out of position, and you're just doing yeah. around. The is a uh, you could put him anywhere, and he'd be go- he'd be very good. But he's he's the best nine in the world, so you want him playing nine. Yeah, and that's probably the frustrating part for Toulouse. But that's the tactical side of the game where sometimes you know you you, you push the chips in and it doesn't go your way. Yeah. and that was kind of it. As
2: a as a player on Leinster, right, when you see the change happening and you're looking around, going, they're going to be getting Dupont on the ball maybe thirty five percent less than he would be if he was at every breakdown. Yeah. I'm delighted about that, right?
6: Oh, uh, I, you know, if, if you're defending around the breakdown, happy days. He's at out half. You know, you've a lot more people around you. You can it's, line him up from a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not as one on one. Well, the ball's quick, and you know, you're you're either like folding around the rook or uh, you're you're getting back after a line break. He see like he he's looking for your body language on what you're looking at, where you're standing, how you're standing, yeah. and you don't have time to fix it. While when the ball's in the air from one pass, all of a sudden you've more read time and you've more people around you to help you. It just it makes someone like him, uh, it's what he's unbelievable at. It just kind of like mitigates it a little bit, and probably. Uh, to their own detriment but as I said it comes from that 6-2 split which is uh, it works like uh, South Africa would would use it quite a lot uh, and, and they these giants coming on and do a great job but it, it has
3: that's the, the downside And Paul Grau's passing like is a b- bit more telegraphed slightly than, than DuPont so you almost have that, that element of speed and fear factor just completely gone when, when DuPont's gone from 9
6: yeah and, and I, listen there's no slight on whoever comes in to replace DuPont you know it, you're replacing the best player in the world so no one is going to be as good uh, right now anyway so uh, it's always going to be a slight step down but I, I thought it was a good game um, again it was just you're kind of taking you know you're you're taking the best player out, out of position so it's not going to mm. be as effective but I think when you peel it all back that's not why they lost the game they lost the game through discipline and and uh, that was really it. It was discipline and, and Leinster f- forcing them uh, into pressure situations with, with really clever attacking kicks and attack and, and, and they defended very well as well. They'd be, they'd be satisfied with that. It was super ruthless as well in terms
2: of attack from Leinster. Like you would have said if the score had been closer to even at half time, that might have been a reflection in terms of possession and control. But Leinster were absolutely efficient and ruthless whenever they got the opportunity.
6: Yeah, and and, you know, they they would have obviously practiced to to get all all of uh, your attacking plays right and really well, and. and Toulouse did a good job a few times at, a, at coming up with a few big turnovers and, and that that's going to be the same kind of threat uh, down the road whether it be the Sharks this weekend uh, or La Rochelle in the final, like, there's going to be an unbelievable amount of pressure on the breakdown, but I thought Leinster's breakdown work was phenomenal, I thought James Ryan again uh, if you get a chance to player cam him and, and some of his clean out work, it's, it's uh, it's top top drawer uh, and, and it, it creates a space then for other people because he's uh, he's been he's taken one or two people uh, off to feeding the breakdown uh, and, and just been very very effective at his job Ross Maloney got the start which is obviously a big vote of confidence
2: for him it means you've got Jason Jenkins in reserve for when the um, big pack reserves are coming off for Toulouse it, it's almost as if uh, maybe we underrated how much development and evolution he's had and the pack have had and also afterwards they're like oh we've learned how to play against bigger men so that narrative that we've all had that if you trace back all the defeats since they last won it has been big man for Saracens big man for Saracens big man for La Rochelle, big man for La Rochelle, it's obviously a complete like distillation down to one thing which rugby never is but they seem to have understood ways to deal better with that threat of the Giants
6: yeah, it, to a certain extent, you know, a few like a few of the games that they've lost, you know, like the Lashell game came down to like the last play, and you know, and, and it, what it really turned on was uh, the bounce of a ball. So if you remember, there was a, a a drop kick kind of to nothing. It bounces probably like half a foot from the dead ball line, and uh, like back into the field. Johnny catches it he proceed like he was going to kick shapes the kick and um I can't remember where he took it but anyway they chased their they chased the, followed the kick so Johnny passes it to, to Hugo who who gets tackled and eventually turned the ball over and it's like if that ball goes dead you know you're you're back in the, uh, the opposition half and all of a sudden you're two scores ahead and and it's a different game and the, like that final period is just kind of all the management yeah. it doesn't really matter. But they, like This is the small margins, you know, so like you get that right. Like, Leinster were in control for a lot of that final. Um, and Larshaw just did a brilliant job of, of clawing their way back in. And it comes down to little moments. So you just win one or two more little moments, and uh, and that's all it is. And, and people are quick to point at big, what seem obvious things, but uh, it's not always that. Uh, pre-game, going through it, it was like,
2: ooh, Leinster are missing a few key players and we still talk about Sexton Henshaw came out late in the week and uh, James Lowe three elite players who you would genuinely say are in contention for being in any team in any uh, world class right whatever you mean by that um and looked like Toulouse had beefed up their team from last year and, you know, Dupont and Entomac. But I was actually worried before the game. And then as the game went on, you're like, wow, that's really, really good. One of the things that really surprised me was just how good Charlie Natai was. I thought
6: he was in contention from out of the match because of the things that he did when he did them. Yeah, he's incredible. So we played against Lyon and... Uh He's he was been a, like a standout player for, for so long. Um, J- James Gibson Park actually like they go way back into school. and He said he was probably one of the most talented schools players that he's ever seen. So he was kind of like over the like chuffed that this guy was coming coming to Leinster. Uh, we'd only kind of seen bits of when we'd been playing in in Europe against them, but anything we'd seen, he was class. He comes in and just one of the most skillful guys. Um, and, and he's he's an unbelievable like step and jinkiness to him, but he's quite a solid man. Oh yeah, um, yeah. huge tackles, oh, an incredible like te- like you know the 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 offload he gave to um, to Rob Russell in the corner. Uh, in, in the RDS was like he's getting dragged and touch by like two people and it was just like flicks it up under it was just, he has these like little touches of skill that are incredible and I think his fifty twenty two was a huge turning point he had a huge poach even yeah. at, at one point in the first half there was another big turning point in the game and he'll bring a real coolness and calmness uh, to, to that back line as well as having to, those class
3: kind of touches and he hadn't played since January that's the nearly more impressive thing like yeah. he comes straight back in he almost forget about Robbie Henshaw
6: I, I think well, we definitely don't forget about Rocky. No, Hatchell, don't forget, but the the thing is, when, when you're experienced like him, you can. It's easier to kind of step back in. Uh, you don't have the That's those same nerves and and everything like that. He, I wouldn't have been worried at all about him starting back in mm-hmm. just because of his age profile. How. Uh, how experienced he is how much of a leader he'd be in, in, in that group um, he would have been chomping on the bits playing those sorts of games Like that's why he, he came to, to Leinster was to be involved in those mm-hmm. sorts of days especially against friends you know it's a lot of familiar um, scenarios too and he would have known a lot of those players played against them a lot so he would have been happy out and leading the charge in, in the or, build up in the
3: week I don't know who got was it Gibson Park got the man of the match in the stadium possibly yeah. but like who, who who stood out most of all for you like you had Dan Sheehan and James Ryan brilliant as well how we've mentioned like there, there was a number of options there you could
6: have yeah I, I thought the two second rows were, were unbelievable I think like Ross Maloney's been an unsung hero for so long um, James Ryan we know is, is incredible he, he again as I said he, he was amazing um, but I th- I thought like it was a a lot of pressure probably isn't a big narrative around it because he did well but Ross Byrne you know if he'd had a bad game he would have been out with the pitchforks Um, I thought he was phenomenal he just steered the ship so well so calm um, so confident and just that's the the years of of performing and and doing well when the spotlight was on everyone else is kind of coming to fruition now and And all uh, the games he's Yeah, yeah yeah. and I think as well Conan at 8 like reminding everyone why he's a Lions test starter and, and uh, you know I'd, I'd picked him at six um, still back that decision but uh, he he was brilliant absolutely brilliant I think like the balance that back row is, is looking good whatever way you want to play it um, but I'm delighted for him now that he, he's uh, he's back in form not just the tries but he's a lot of very good involvements yeah. around the field and, yeah Um yeah, so to answer your question, I've given I've given a few players <laughs> there, but I think there was, the there was quite now. The, the thing is, I, I I wouldn't like to be doing man of the match unless it, mm. it's quite obvious uh, on the day. But like, there was probably a lot of guys that were worth worth looking at and just. Again, understanding of of game scenarios and and everything like that. I thought it was just a really
3: really good day. Saw so someone pointing at Ross Burn afterwards, making the I think they used the phrase "This is his team now." And there is a sense of leadership about Ross Burn as well, isn't there? Of late, that he's he's really taken the the position and made it his own. And
6: yeah, and he, and yeah, fairness as I said he's been probably doing that for three, four, five years but you know you probably don't you don't see it as much um until you, now when you're on center stage so uh, I've I've known him as that leader but it's great now that he's finally doing it, uh, he's finally been recognized for it on uh, on the big stage so it's been uh, good Jimmy O'Brien's evolution into um a winger at this
2: level where James Lowe is out but there's no step down it feels like
6: yeah, again, different type of player I think. Uh, but yeah, he's as I said, I didn't see winger coming. I said I, I could see him play in any position, but winger, I did not see him uh, getting to this level at. And I'm just uh, like delighted for him. He's the most talented lad I saw go through Newbridge College in my time. Um, I remember watching him, you know, you know, single-handedly clawing back a, a senior cup semi-final and, and getting into the, ne- in the next game, and just thinking, "Wow, this kid's got something else." He was uh, playing out half at that stage. He was playing everywhere. He was playing right. twelve out half, yeah, and you know, like he wasn't taking the kicks and scored the try in the corner and grabbed the ball and, and kicked the conversion from right. the touchline. <laughs> and you're just like, "This kid is."
2: Is he is his future at wing? Like, it may well be given the age profile of the other wingers. Um, and he must be beginning to put some pressure on those wingers for the Ireland team or is if you were like thinking long term now should he try and become a centre what's the do you just take whatever you can get when you're getting into the Ireland team
6: I think I think he will he will take whatever he can get but it'll be wing for right now and then if an opportunity opens up somewhere else he'll seamlessly slot in there Um, you know he's he's the benefit of being very good at a lot of positions Um, he's now at a level where he could be actually be a winger he could be whatever a lot of utility don't want to say utility uh, for him but he, because he can he kind of falls into that bracket but a lot of utilities are kind of like decent at everything yeah. at least he's at a level now where he could be a starting winger, no problem he could yeah. be a starting full back no problem
2: definitely put you in the conversation with the 23 on match day anyway
6: yeah oh 100% yeah. He, he'd be like nailed down in my mind anyway uh, uh, right now that's kind of his, his jersey if he's not starting you know like if he keeps this sort of form up he could, he could find his way on the field uh, a, a, a note here uh, slightly different from Dennis Ryan ask James about the Porter non
2: Yellow slash red card right in front of Barnes. Irish provinces get a lot of the rub of the green from the referees. Um, to these fans, not happy with the refereeing.
6: Yeah, I feel like the it's very frustrating when you're away, right? You you feel like everything does go against you, Not the, listen, the crowd, everything like plays a, a different and like you know the the old dodgy. Um, French TV staff and like we don't show the replays for a different, but I feel like that's it. like we we that's our perspective because we're looking at it yeah. from that, and I'm am sure they feel the same looking the other way. Well, we didn't see a replay of it in the, in the stadium so yeah. I, I actually so saw it in, in real. time You know, and, and if it was in France we would have been given out. So like, yeah, I feel like that's the home advantage. I didn't feel like it was a yellow card. Definitely not a red card. Um, you know, it was probably it, it probably was it a little bit late maybe a penalty a little bit silly but uh, 100% wasn't a card I didn't feel like, um, like like you look at the the bits of like the Toulouse ill-discipline at times um, Madness Madness like the, the flying headbutt and like I saw some people talking about like yeah oh Van der Friere milks a bit he gets clocked but he's giant in the jaw for, and then it, like he's entitled to uh to counter-rook, right? So if you're... If they're setting up a rook to kick, you want to put kick pressure on the nine by by attacking the rook. He's standing upright. That's a cue. So, like, if they're not looking at you or they're standing upright, there's your two cues that it's a good opportunity to try counter-rook this fella. He's standing upright, and like, come at me, right? So, anyway, first first attempt and he clocks him in the jaw and he's like right well he's still standing upright so I should probably have another go with this again and then he clobbers him again with his head like, like he's trying to hit like he's trying purpose. to hit go, oh he's yeah. trying to get him yeah. and uh, and then you have the, the tight head then then kind of like tussles him to the ground he's like shoving his head into the ground and then you know they're wondering why they're getting a sent off whatever but like maybe maybe they let that go in uh, in the top 14 but like that, come on it's common sense there there's been t- like I'd call that like being a dummy tough man where like you know you're acting like the big man or whatever but like there's plenty of ways where you can assert dominance and aggression in a way that's not a penalty or a yellow card but like that is just like mindless stuff yeah yeah um, I must talk to you about
2: the moment <sighs> we get time to do that again I do want to talk to you about the referee because the referee is going to be very important in the final right
6: yeah yeah, oh, massively. Yeah, I like. Listen, I feel like the French teams and uh, watching, you know, watching that Larchelle game, a few, a few last few Larchelle games, like they really push the boundaries on um, the breakdown. Okay, so how are we going to stop lancer at source breakdown? It, it seems to be kind of the narrative of, how, of what how they go about it. So, you know, we we are kind of dependent a lot on, on having. Uh, good officials because if they get away with kind of not holding their body weight and just killing the ball there's not much you can do really and, and, and it's very frustrating when yes they give a clean purchase on the ball but a lot of the times they're not on their feet and they just get rewarded for time after time and they might get pinged once or twice but then the momentum swings and they're getting rewarded for it and, and you know again another thing that frustrates me uh, is like Bougarite off the back of the line out like he breaks the 15 so much so like the ball you're not allowed to break to 15 Expand as, as the hooker. 15 so you're you're standing on the 15 as the hooker you're not allowed to leave leave into open play until the ball is left either the the jumper who's caught its hands or um one of the the back line approaches 10 so then again the, the, he breaks so they have to be 10 meters back when they break that 10, 10 meters then the line it's over as well or if say it's a mall it moves uh, moves forward the ref's arm goes down, line out's over. So there's a few things but they always chance their arm off so it'll be caught here, he'll already be two meters outside because then once it's off the top, he's already built that mm. space in the seam between the, the you know you can't attack uh, that you can't attack into yeah and it's just so frustrating to, to watch. Um but yeah, ho- hopefully there's there's good officiating and, and and stuff like that because if they're killing the the breakdown all the time, it's gonna it's gonna uh, like ruin the game a little bit. So I, I hope that that uh does that become a topic
2: of conversation now that we've raised it uh, in in the build up to this. Is that the type of thing that? um if you were involved with Leinster that they would be briefing the referee saying here's
6: the video we just we're just saying this is a thing it's just a, it's just something we've noticed you can do what you want with the referee <laughs> i've never been involved in those conversations so i wouldn't know you'd have to ask leo on that but it's definitely something that i can say now because i'm not in it but i was felt at the time i remember looking at the footage just been like hey, like you know you, you've, your body is incredibly good um at disrupting but a lot of the time not legally uh, you know and you've you've a lot of guys that are incredibly good at disrupting play like Skelton you know he's good at like lying on top of people and he's not. he's got a lot of things but I mean he's very good at the dark arts <laughs> and I feel like he gets away with a lot of it as well uh, and listen a lot of those they're all world class at ropey, but they're also world class at the dark arts and I feel like it, you know it, it's a uh, it's a part of the game that, that's, you know, it, it's just very frustrating when, when they're getting away with it. All right, well, the build-up has officially
2: started. Yes. Uh, James, good stuff. Um, it's a really busy. Every game is at the Aviva for Leinster. from now on. The RDS, I think, is unavailable because of its concert season and various other reasons. So
6: that's good and bad in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, like, we've, we've a tough run-in. Like, we've a knockout game this week and then like hopefully another knockout game you know well, well like slash shell you, you don't necessarily need to win their, their two games they taught their away games but they don't need to need to win them necessarily um, like the sharks the said African teams are, are incredibly attritional to play against as well so it's gonna be a tough tough few weeks um, yeah I, I feel like the, the Aviva is it's a special place to play so um you know they'll they'll relish that, but let's let's hope there's a, you know somewhat close to full house, if not a full house, because that's what really makes it. It's the it's the the atmosphere and, and that's that's the home advantage part, you know. And the final is sold out. Uh, Leinster fans bought tickets early
2: and often. It turns out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, the atmosphere for the final should be very special. Good stuff, James. Thanks, a million for joining us. It's uh, eight twenty-five this morning. Now we're going to be hosting a live UEFA Champions League road show on in partnership with Just Eat this Thursday evening. That's the third of May at the Mansion House in Dublin joined by UEFA Champions League winners John Shane Wes Brown. It's going to be a brilliant night's entertainment. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay It, it is a Manchester United special. Go to offthewall.com forward slash events. We will see you on the night. Just eat. The official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. Up next, Vinnie Parts talking League of Ireland. Here's Kean Tracy and Fionn Davenport with Joe on yesterday's pay-per-view and Sunday's pay-per-view talking Leicester.
7: Plenty of coverage in the papers about it. Like Neil Francis is kind of interesting, taking the line of you know what kind of ramifications will this have for France at the World Cup, which is interesting because they obviously had a bit of a mix Six Nations, but the performance at Twickenham you'd have to say kind of at the end left you kind of going okay, you know they're still going to be unbelievable. So um, it was more evidence I think to suggest that Leinster and Irish teams have figured out how to play against the power teams. Um, We were kind of discussing it off air. The just the sheer size of the. The Toulouse second row's Manny Miafu is 140kg and Richie Arnold is 120kg. Um, these are the kind of profiles that you know Irish teams have struggled against in the past. And obviously Leinster are going to play the winners of La Rochelle and Exeter today. Um, and I suppose no one kind of sums up that kind of size than Will Skelton. And he's been kind of Leinster's kryptonite over the last few years. But I think the way they handled Toulouse was really, really encouraging. Not sure how good preparation it is for you know if, if we assume it's going to be La Rochelle, not to be disrespectful to Exer but I would fully expect La Rochelle to win um, so for Leinster it's all about managing the next few weeks it just it's just a crazy schedule when you actually put it down in black and white so next weekend they're going to play the Sharks in the URC quarterfinal if they win that they've got a semi final, then a Champions Cup final and then potentially a URC final so uh, we speak so often about Leinster's strength and depth and we're going to see that tested to the absolute core I think over the
2: next year you get more of that goodness if you subscribe to the Sunday pay-per-view podcast now any part is with us to look back at a busy weekend of League of Ireland action um, old pal in the comments wants us to ask about Sligo Rovers they get little to no coverage always the Dublin clubs just massive three points away yesterday with ten first team injuries so we should start there really.
1: um,
0: yeah and who, who's that old pal I absolutely agree because I've seen them twice the weekend I was in Tallis Stadium um, against Shamrock Rovers, really unlucky to lose. I thought you were exceptional, and then in Richmond Park yesterday, um, what was a different type of performance, but you were very, very good yesterday in terms of um, beating Saint Pat's one nil. So, now I was really impressed with them. Um, it's it's interesting because their uh, Penacker, their centre half, stepped out, passed the ball to the right back. Uh, I'm going to struggle to pronounce his name now, but there you go. Uh, Bran Flack from Sweden who crosses it to Max Mata from New Zealand who scores so it's interesting because um, where the league is at and all of these things come into uh, lots of discussion every year, where's the standard, where it's not but we definitely need an influence of players from outside of the league and Sligo's recruitment has been exceptional um Rack, uh, someone said to me if was half a yard quicker he'd be outstanding but if he was half a yard quicker, he probably wouldn't be playing in their league. But he is an exceptional player in their league. Hartman, who's out injured at the moment again, a German, um, has been brilliant for them. So Estonian is Laverick. So there's players from all over the world playing for Sligo and, and many other teams, by the way. But in particular, Sligo. And I think they've been exceptional and um, re- done really, really well. Uh, young manager there, um John Russell has done a great job for them and they're right in the mix for European spots.
3: First clean sheet of the season as well. I think, it, and I think it's, someone said nine goals for Max Mattis so far this season. So there are lots of positive things for Sligo to look at and to go forward. Like what's, the, what's the ceiling for them this season?
0: Um, I think it's European football. I think getting back into European football and you know, Sligo, they, they were dealt a really difficult hand this weekend. So over the bank holiday weekend, they were sent up to Tala the way the fixtures fell. And then up to Richmond Park on Bank Holiday Monday, but uh, to come out them um, with the way they did, they were really unlucky, as I said. Should have beat Shamrock or should have got something out of the Rovers game, and then to go up to Talla in a, or up to Richmond Park in a different performance, uh, but dug it out. Um, so I think European football is definitely there for them. Max Matta has led the line for them in those two games brilliantly, and. Um, albeit the fatigue, I think Pat's probably fatigued more than they mm. did in, in, as the game wore on yesterday. We said last week that these back to back games were going to be um, really interesting just in terms of the
2: teams' various abilities. This is a, a slightly random tangent, but Carl Denny had a great piece in Sunday Independent yesterday where he, he interviewed um, an athletics coach, an Irish athletics coach who's based out in the US, John Coughlin, who's training Olympic uh, gold medalists and. Uh, World Cup winners, but he has actually been involved in the League of Ireland in the past, and with uh, Andy McIntyre at Meath. And he says in Irish sports, it's strength and conditioning, and he he would actually refer if it was conditioning and strength because the strength is less, far less relevant. And he talked about being able to make people faster. So when you bring up the right back, um, you know, it's just a, it's a technique issue, and that everybody can continue to work on their speed. Are we? Are we? because that's one of those things that doesn't require facilities right it doesn't require a huge amount of investments
0: well you said it was a tangent right so to go go off on one real quickly I went to watch Dublin and Derry my first ever inter-county game live Uh, for that reason to see what, what what was in this what could I get out of it and I think in, as a country in sport, I actually, uh, I didn't, I, I was listening to the paper review while I was out and about as opposed to reading that article, but I was listening to it yesterday morning going, yeah, he's he's so right. There's too much emphasis on um, physical conditioning. So in terms of size and bulk over speed, and, and it should be speed and power as opposed to power and speed. Yeah. Wait and, for dates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see it with some players, right? So, as the summer comes along all of a sudden they want to make sure their arms are decent and different things and it's about getting the top of strength and conditioning coach I remember one, one um, um, we, we played a European game and I stood in the tunnel and Dundalk were known as a really big, big team and we played um, the side uh, it'll come back to me uh, but we stood in the tunnel I remember speaking to Danny Miller who's uh, head of medical or uh, physiotherapist at the Irish international team now saying we're bigger than them, okay? Carabaque. It was Carabaque, big mm. European club. And he's like, yeah, the two of us... And I hit home and we had... For 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 a long period after that, we said, we were, we were actually becoming too big. Yeah, We need to come back a little bit. And you see that with a lot of European players that you play against now or are coming into the league. Their frames are a lot smaller. And they're able to move over the ground I would say a little bit quicker and it's finding that that little niche or that little sweet spot where you've got someone right in the right moment and probably and and going back to Gaelic I would say to you coming away from that and this is right so this will probably upset a lot of people but I'm going to throw it out there stop bloody spending so much time in the gym and learn how to kick the ball out of your hands and move around the pitch quicker and I came away from it going why aren't you moving the ball quicker out of hands I spoke to a couple of GA coaches that I know and he was like I'm saying I'd say some fella is gone statistically if you pass the ball over 30 metres mm-hmm. uh, the chances of keeping possession are down yeah. I'm saying ok so improve the quality of your kick pass and I would uh, I'd say in in terms of the skill of, of Gaelic as a football person I could be completely wrong I would say if, if you got that fundamental part right and improved that you because the ball will you can move the ball 30 40 hour uh, with a kick quicker so it is a, it is definitely something that's um, should be in, uh, watched by all people coaching. In you sports. should
2: go later in the summer when there's more high stakes involved I think um, there might be better examples of, of teams who are more likely to be doing the thing that they want to
0: do and revealing their full hand. yeah no I felt I felt to be fair I felt uh, Dublin really impressed me as the game wore on against Derry It was in the final in mm. terms of they were willing to kick it into forwards who were making more movements yeah. and yeah. they looked like they did more set plays for want of a better word than Derry at the time but that's just a that's just a, as I said a, 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 an overview from someone who knows yeah. nothing no, about not, the game.
2: It turns out that Derry were um, uh, roping up against a little bit that day because they were much better last weekend yeah. but to go back to the point about um, the, the fitness it's weekends like this where being properly conditioned really helps you, and you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that at the end of the weekend, uh, Summer are second, they've got Bowes up this week, they're the ominous uh, run that they've been on, yeah. they're reeling, they're reeling Bowes in, and Bowes obviously had a big win yesterday, but. Um, couldn't get the job done to get the six points over the weekend that we talked about being really important for them.
0: Yeah, it would have given them a huge buffer, like they'd been seven points clear going into the game this weekend, putting pressure on Rovers that we need to, you know, to win draw. it. draw, we yeah. need to go and win. And that's ultimately what the concern is of of people. And um, when you look at that, I, I was, I so I sadly went from uh, Richmond Park over to Dailymount Park at five o'clock. And then went home and watched Rovers and um, and Derry live and telly. So I got three games in yesterday. Now, uh, for those wondering how do you get away with that, I ended up doing the ironing while I was watching the Derry game. So that's Fair enough, Yeah. give and take in life. <laughs> but um, the, the, the point about it, the, the two games back-to-back was that you could see teams, Cork really struggled. Yesterday, I have a bit of fear for them. You could see both uh, Pats and, and Sligo struggling in those second games. And our players, when you compare it to Championship, where you play 48 games or you play League One, League Two, the intensity that's required. And you would feel Shamrock Rovers have that in their strength and depth. And you look at the game against Derry yesterday, and I think, I think Derry starting 11. If, if the game was played or the season was played with just 11 players, they're not far off Shamrock Rovers. The strength and depth in Rover Rovers squad means the Friday-Monday isn't a big deal in terms of changing people around and um, it looks like uh, I, I, I just thought they were exceptional yesterday and what's brilliant about them is people are talking about Jack Bourne who's been out out like different class in their league but when I watched him against uh, Bowles a couple of weeks ago it was it um, was uh, one, of, one of the midfielders it was Garrett, not Gary O'Neill um, one of the central midfielders Dylan Watts was outstanding when I watched him down in Pats a couple of weeks ago Dan Cleary was outstanding and you just there's always someone else and that's where you know you've hit a sweet spot as a manager a league winning team where yes you've got your stars whether it's you know Bourne and Bork, but when, when someone else is popping up every week with a man the match performance then you're like yeah this team is and and they look exceptional.
3: There was an expectation before the season with all due respect to how Bows are playing now that Derry will be the, the team involved in the title race with, with Rovers, like a lot of mistakes from Derry in that game at the weekend would you expect that they they can still mount some sort of a D-
0: challenge? This, this is the challenge and um, I, ha- I have to be careful not to sound bitter here but I really rate this Rovers team, I think it's one of, but when you think of when you think of the Grey Shells team the Dundalk team recently they've always been pushed and somebody needs to push this Rovers team and I don't feel anyone is close enough yet to push them now whether it's whether Derry can strengthen in the window whether like missing Conley um, Cameron Dummigan and Patrick McElhenney from yesterday's game is a hammer blow to them I think Rovers could have dealt with three players of that Mm. magnitude but but uh, Derry can't, and this this Roberts team needs to be pushed, and also not just for not just for the sake of the league and, and different bits and pieces, but pushed to make them even better again. Yeah, and I think uh, Cork pushed us onto another level, um, and also we pushed Cork on at different stages. But I remember, in 2017 season, we had a, we had a real hangover from 2016 Europa League and different things. We started the season slow. But Cork just won like nine out of ten games, and you couldn't catch them. And you need that, and you need that to push it on. And that's my fear about the league at the moment: is this rover's team are so far ahead, oh, it doesn't feel like anyone's able to catch them. Mm, not even Bose. Well. Well, look, ball, ball, balls of you know it's 13 games in the four points clear. So this game on Friday is huge for them. Yeah, yeah huge I mean, for them. it's like you wouldn't be terribly shocked if bows were to
2: beat Rovers yeah. in in this fixture of all fixtures. Yeah. The fact that they have the four point lead would obviously you know it would Yeah.
0: And, and the concern will be uh, for uh, Bows Bowls were completely outplayed against Rovers a couple of weeks back. So it's about what the make up of the team how the balls approach it Did they look at doing something slightly different in that game because they were they were outdone a bit more uh, expectation on Rovers maybe in this game particularly in so do they look at something slightly different where they try and counter, uh, counter attack against them and, but it's set up to be a brilliant game uh, atmosphere will be will be huge there'll be no spare tickets and it will be you would imagine a brilliant advertisement for the league again. So um it's 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 May it's set up brilliantly that the the two biggest rivals in Irish football are now rivaling each other at top of the table, which is which is perfect.
2: And there's a sustainability about this bow's evolution, like they're really well run, they're proper community focus. You know, this isn't um a manager uh who's it's not the back of a genius manager who is going to leave it's not the back of one great player who is going to get transferred it's it's built slowly over a number of years
0: yeah and it's also now um the the icing on the cake is the likes of Pat Fanlon coming into the club it is having you know Trevor Crowley's now working within the academy there so they've they've done it in a really structured way that It is a slow burner and people will say to you, Dundalk will dominate or um, Rovers will dominate the league for years and years and years. And they may do, but football doesn't work that way. It cycles and it just takes one slip of a couple of bad signings here or there or something to go against you. And then someone else will be waiting in the wings. And we see that in world football, like particularly leagues similar to ourselves, whether it's in Scandinavia, whether it's... um, Um, Eastern European leagues you see like Bate Borsa for years and years and years being the ones that win their league and then all of a sudden they're not and it's the same in um, in so many different leagues We
2: talked last time you were in about uh, the funding issue and since then it has kind of taken off a little bit now it hasn't quite crossed over into the mainstream political debate Mm. just yet but it's in the ether and it feels like Football people are actually a bit pissed off by the fact that they've been spoken down to by Leo Varadkar. When you were out and about at the games,
0: yeah, we 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 had we had, um, we had a, a bit of a discussion about it where we we probably agreed to disagree on on the point in terms of us pitching against horse racing. But I've probably come around to the like I, I've spoken to Aidan and written actually um, during the week and the first point is, I should have known by his dodgy jumpers, he's a balls fan, okay? So <laughs> I, I said he was a Pats fan. But um, I've spoken to him, and um, I'll probably meet him over next week or two, because there is people now who are interested in it, and it's not just tokenism, or um, like pe- people looking to meet someone like me for whatever reason, just to get a big, bigger insight into how to, to shape the argument. But um, I'll probably come around to the idea that... Um, it wasn't a bad thing that the, you know, the cage was rattled. Um, I was a little bit in fear that by doing that, we would have got the response we got, and, and whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But I think um, I think for the particip- participation numbers in our soccer, I think we've got to get more. And, and I think like yesterday, yesterday in Richmond Park, the, the amount of. Uh, kids and families and different bits and pieces and the weather was good and it was like we, we've got to give society something more football it, yesterday I, I'm not sure where League of Iron football is in terms of standard and quality and that's always a debate but what I will say is the games are really entertaining like uh, Sligo and Pats yesterday it was end to end both teams were really tired and they gave up chances and like as a coach you're looking at that going should they be a bit fair or should they do this should he play this system but actually as a as a supporter you're up and down off your seat yeah. there's people travelling all over the country from Sligo to go f- Friday up to Talla and then up to Inchi core and there was a huge support from Sligo again yesterday so people are interested in mm. this
2: my instinct is that um, I, the fear comes from a position where the league was told that it was the problem child by the organisation whose job it was to grow it. And so there's a, a natural hangover from that. And that hangover has to be chiselled off. And the only way to do that is to get everybody together. And maybe maybe the right thing to do is not to go and attack the other sports. Maybe the right thing to do is to, to build a coalition of willing people. And some, some of them will flare off and go, well, that's not fair over here. But if everybody actually
0: yeah. was to realise that they need each other. There's yeah. does a, does a revolution happening in our soccer, okay? Now, where that is, I am not sure. Okay, it's 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 bubbling and it's coming along nicely. Like going back to the to the for, the first point about Sligo. When you go to that ground, so people in Dublin don't look outside of Dublin sometimes. When you go to Sligo's ground, community built, uh, fan led, um, self funding, brilliant, and a, and a great, a decent stadium. I am sure they got a certain amount of funding. So when you see what what people can do, and you can see where where they're taking it to. But um, the rewards are, are huge for, for, for communities, for, for footballers. And it's it's also then the knock-on effect for 14s, um, 15s, 17s, 19s. And, and women's football has had a huge growth with the League of One Clubs. The League of Iron Clubs have always been hammered for different reasons. Uh, but the one thing they seem to have done well is the ladies' game. Now... Um, you must give them credit for that, and people must give them credit for that because it's growing that sport. That maybe, maybe in in 16 years' time or 12 to 16 years' time, we're at regular World Cups with with the ladies' game, and it will become of what was was done. That was the FEI led it, Don't get me wrong, but it's it's like Pats have just introduced it now. Rovers have have done it recently. Um, uh, obviously, the strength with Shelburne over the years, but but so. There's a lot of really good things happening. I just think we're tarnished, and and the thing you, you tend to hear is, "So why would you give the FEI money?" Should look what they've done with the money before, exactly, exactly. and that's so, that's so degrading, and that's just like saying, "Well, we've." We've given banks back money. We've exactly. Given, just think, just change, get on with it. New brew. Yeah. And and here, but
2: I think if if there's a long-term plan and and the long-term plan shows a more healthy country uh, grassroots, better facilities for kids, more kids playing into their middle age,
0: like the, this is a, a a really easy story to piece together. But it's and so hard because we're we're actually so political as well in Irish football that it's it's we we probably need a dictator. And we've had one, so we don't need a dictator. <laughs> but, so there, how do you explain that? What I mean by that is... is, we're, we're, we're bloody shutting down a lot of the pitches now for the summer. Well,
2: I don't really so, understand this, right? Because we've just had the wettest... Was it the wettest February or the wettest March? Was February all dry in March? Was, was yeah, I, then the,
0: the next, I think it was March. Yeah.
2: And so, like... You, there, there's no matches and it's all everybody's away in the summer. Thing whoever's around so should what? just play.
0: Yeah, like if if a team of of fifteen have three players missing, so what? Like just just play, <laughs> play, play games. Like and and the argument with what about parents if you play say Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday or Sunday, Tuesday, whatever three days a week. Well, they're probably going to bring the kids somewhere that week, training Tuesday, Thursday in a match. So get them out on these grass pitches that the council are now going around cutting and different bits of pieces. And so we do need some like real strong leadership with our game. It's it's as I said, I believe we're in the middle of a revolution. Where that is, I can't put my finger on it because sometimes we drag ourselves back. And and I think the part of the problem in Irish football is others oh, are kicking us and they're using. Uh, and yeah yeah okay I'll say it I don't like saying it because it's but I have to make it personal it is they're using the delay a year to hold us back now where you're saying no I, checks and balances now no problem putting them in place and I think you know they've changed the board and they've done certain things so hold us to the highest standard in the world no problem but actually give us a hand to grow the game and, and help society yeah and uh, treat us the same as everybody else
2: Yeah, that's the that's the bit where you start looking at the greyhound industry and going well I'm not really sure that you're uh, worth all the money you tell us you're worth but um, anyway we, we'll, we're definitely going to come back to that one last thing about Cork sorry they, they seem to be really struggling and actually UCD have the bones of a
0: team who are causing difficulty for sides on a regular basis um, yeah you know. Cork, Cork's a big fear for me in terms of, of the league I think it's important that we have a strong Cork in the lead, but they must stay there on the pitch and on merit. And um, they've they've since beaten Dundalk. I think they've lost four in a row. Mm. And and UCD are one of them sides that they they go through um, a three or four year cycle where they lose all the best players after two or three years, where they've all gone through college, they're free to leave. Out they go, and the new bunch comes in. And this this bunch, people would say it's a poor UCD side, except but they'll gradually pick up points. And it's important that. Cork have just got new owners. Um, it's so important to League of Ireland that we have a strong Cork and I have a big fear where they're at. They need to go and spend in this window and I think they will but they've got to get their recruitment right, watch them against Bowles and albeit the demand sent off so the game went against them. They don't look like a mid-table Premier Division side yet so they need a hand. And Colin Healy's con- not
3: happy either like with the decisions and stuff. And Even Rory Keating not scoring in six games is a bit of a concern when that's your your yeah, lead but target man
0: they've got uh, Tunde Afalabi and Rory Keaton up there and he's got to maybe come up with a system that can get two of them into the team because goals will win your games the sending off uh, really bothered them last night but I think I think there was a decision just before that where they were true on goal and the referee blew up and uh, brought back for a free kick for them on the halfway line but they go against you but like they were well beaten yesterday. Um, Jordan Flores with another amazing goal. Mm. It, these goals go into full pack stadiums and they look even better. But uh, Cork, Cork need to spend some money back, Colin, um, and but they also need. They, they've got a lot of players that just are a little bit, little bit short, and they need to sign a couple to strengthen because you need Cork in the, in the Premier Division of, of League of Ireland.
2: Uh, one last question we were talking a little bit earlier on about um, the Spurs-Liverpool game I know you watched that uh, Jurgen Klopp was I don't know, called. I'll it. just
0: say we two Man United fans fans here this morning hammering Jurgen Klopp like it was just the worst bit of radio I've heard in the long time the two <laughs> of them just something. like just gone on a personal tack like he, you know? he used to be I think he used well, to be quite Alex enjoyable Ferguson for opposition was this, fans wasn't Alex He's Ferguson the most like loyal honest good man who never complained about
3: he was too old to run after for oh, officials though
0: and he done it in a different way his words were yeah. <laughs> but um, now um, I spoke during the week about Liverpool and sort of the recovery it, it's, it's fascinating because I was thinking about it um, we'd done a, a piece maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, went on about what made Liverpool great. And it was the midfield three. And it's funny, people are picking holes in their back forward at the moment. But actually, they've, like Henderson or Fabinho or Wijnaldum used to press so high up the pitch that actually teams couldn't get out. Yeah. And now there's just one simple pass breaking the lines. Mm-hmm. But Liverpool's uh, forward line, I would say to you, is as good as anyone. The challenge they're having is that midfield is just too open and it's it's shown flaws in their back four that had always been there but was never tested yeah. because you just couldn't get out against Liverpool and you couldn't break the lines with your passing.
2: I know there's a view that uh, the whole team needs loads of surgery but actually if they were just to spend all the money on the dynamism of a high quality midfielder that might be a better way of spending their money than signing five players for £40 million and none of them actually bringing the level of energy to that midfield that they need.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think I think they can. O- you can overthink it. Like uh, you, you look at their back, the way their back three are playing at the moment, and they're too far apart. Kanate and Van Dijk is too far apart, and uh, they're trying to come up with different systems. And I think I think they, they probably feel as a coaching staff, this is an opportunity to try something. You've nothing to lose. Tr- drop Trent in there, but again. Um, and and hey, what would I know? But they should have signed Jude Bellingham uh, when we done that piece two two years ago, yeah. eighteen months ago. Yeah, um, and for that's when you go and you you go boom, and that's what to be fair, to Ferguson was brilliant. That when he felt something was coming off, he just went straight in and yeah. and mm. topped it up. And if that meant a big name coming out, but there there is green shoots. But um, yeah, they, it it was it was a a fascinating game in the sense and and then you get Sky saying it was one of the great games and all this stuff but actually it was low in quality for a long period of time the Spurs got into it because Liverpool were, were really poor yeah. and just stepped off a little bit but everybody's talking about the hamstring injury as opposed to the fact that they were 3-0 up and nearly blew it yeah. uh, and, and that's not good enough and as I said to you they, they'll have coaching staff who'll be showing them like Canate and Van Dijk are 40-50 yards apart to allow this new shape and that's that's okay a lot of teams play that back three when you have the ball but that means Robertson has to become Uh, more central and Van Dijk has to be right in the centre of the pitch but they're too far apart but hey what would I know to be telling Jurgen Klopp anything but the point is they're set up wrong they need two world class midfielders of really high energy because Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott are just Below the level, and while they can play for Liverpool for a long period of time, it has to be with real strength in the
2: they're, Maybe they're squad players as well, who knows? If any good stuff, thanks a million. We've uh, Rovers Bowls look forward to later on in the week, we'll talk about that again in advance. But in the meantime, make sure you don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTV podcast network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals. Open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Up next, Irish nuclear player Fergal O'Brien in studio talking about the World Championships. First, Johnny and Dan talking Man City's dominance. Nah, this doesn't
0: sit well with me.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose. Yeah, like from 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 state funded domination of of one sport to another. I suppose. Um Nicely done. Yeah, um, you know, not but, quite comparable. No, but, uh. how many press cups have you won? You know, <laughs> <laughs> show me your press cup medals. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I the whole Man City thing. Yeah, I mean, this has always been the case, though like I mean maybe maybe that they're just maybe it's that they're on the verge and I spoke about it here with Joe during the week Like maybe the fact they're on the verge of a treble you know makes it even more pronounced um, that they might you know achieve this historic thing and it's like yeah but I mean this is what you it's sort of careful what you wish for you know like the, I meant this point around the time of the, the Premier League investigation um, you know Man City at various times you know some of the other clubs that have been dominated by them have have sort of run with them at times, you know, in Super League debates, looking for an increased share, of, you know, overseas rights, like Man City were accepted to the top table. They've been a useful ally at times, but they just have a bottomless reserve. And if they're struggling, they can again, you know, they can they can find a new sponsor, um, you know, of a of a of an independent well, company in Bob in in UAE, yeah. uh, whatever, and and they'll and they'll 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 take off again. And um, I still like watching them play football. Yeah, I mean that's the. You know that's the the hypocrisy that probably exists within us all. Um, they are like a. I've always found them a good side to watch, um, but I mean, what 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 do people want to happen? Is it the Saudi funded Newcastle? Would that be the Would that be the rivalry that the modern Premier League deserves? Modern world, and actually. then maybe Qatar Manchester
2: United. All right, it's uh, eight fifty five this morning. I'd like to say Fergal O'Brien joins us in the studio to look back on the World Championships. Um, Fergal, all in all, I, I suppose when you have a first time winner like this. Um, It's hard to know whether or not we're witnessing um, a one-time winner or somebody who's going to go on and have a a great career. But notwithstanding that, it seems like it was a pretty good World Championships, all told, with um, some controversy, uh, some uh, stereotypical Ronnie brilliance, him collapsing in the way he did. Uh, Not a bad two weeks, all
5: told. Yeah, absolutely. It was a bit of everything. Um, and even this, the the protest, whatever. You know, even that was good publicity, you know, because obviously sometimes it struggles a bit, you know, for to get the publicity and maybe recognition it deserves, especially over the 17 days, because it can be a bit of a drag. But yeah. it seemed to be every couple of days, there seemed to be something going on. There was a couple of 147s, comebacks, um, the young Chinese player as well, so it was a bit of everything. What's your instinct about where the game is in terms of its popularity at the moment? I definitely think Luca helps. I suppose if you're a young player... You know, if you look on the telly and maybe well, like we love Higgins and Ronnie and Mark Williams, but if you're a young kid looking at them, you know they look ancient. You know, and then maybe goes to the studio again. Davis and Parrott, they're in their sixties or so. You know, so whilst we love them with great respect, as a kid probably is not attractive. Whereas obviously, now Luke is an old-looking twenty-eight. To be fair, um, is that all he is? Uh, But um, his his style of play was so attacking and quick. Who wouldn't want to play like him as well? So I think that that's good. Yeah. Um then the state, I think pre Covid the the game was doing really, really well because obviously there were so many tournaments in China. The prize money was going up, it was good. Since then, you know, it's 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 hit a bit of a wall. The tournaments in China are going to start back up. Um so yeah the last oh, if COVID hadn't happened and was on the same trajectory it would be going very well but definitely hit the wall a piece
2: yeah it's uh, it's all set up for uh, Netflix style <laughs> everybody wants one but Snooker I think probably has just enough characters at the moment to, to justify mm. it
5: yeah but I think
3: o- 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 Sullivan has a, did a documentary last year I think that's due out I think yeah that, very is soon is it Netflix is it yeah yeah, yeah. so, so that's maybe really be the start of it should be decent, but like as you say, when you when you have a player of the style of Luca Bruxelles and, and he, you could hear Stephen Hendry getting excited on commentary yeah, last yeah. night, and like he obviously loves that type of yeah. that type of play. But he's just one of these, and you hear about him partying and you know during the tournament and staying up late in the hotel yeah. bar. You just don't get that now with players in the modern day. So I think people nearly lean in, lean into someone, someone like Luca Brasiel. Yeah, the absolutely. Was on.
5: Yeah, it's old school. But even for myself, even before he played, to, to start, and you, had, you know you heard you know, he'd only done fifteen minutes practice, and then yeah, whatever about that. So you say maybe might work if he's fresh and then in between matches then he's gone back to Belgium. You know what I mean? I was kind of thinking how many years have I wasted playing sober? You know? <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> what chance chances have you gotten? Bed early and preparing? You know what I mean? So, but maybe look. Like, that's the thing. It worked it worked for him. So again, probably for old school, you're a bit like no. You have to do you know you do certain things to get the certain mm. result. Where it, where it just doesn't. Ultimately, the matches are won or lost when you're playing. He was obviously very fresh when he played, looking forward to it. And probably sweet because I know myself. Not so much even the plane, but the couple of days in between matches could be so draining because you're t- trying to do the, the right thing or in your room and we have a lot of time to think, whereas if you're there with a few friends and totally switch off yeah you, ideally, but like as soon as you walk in the crucible doors you're like a right, snooker, and then as soon as you go switch off or so you probably had a balance I don't know whether... You get about that all the time,
3: <laughs> but um, in a one off certainly worked. It's fun. Like I was at the Crucible last week for a few days, and and even in backstage, I bumped briefly into Luca, and I was I was struck by how small his entourage was. It was just his mate, yeah, yeah. like literally just his friend. And I remember hearing that he, he he doesn't have a a sports psychologist, which I'd imagine in an individual sport like snooker is extremely rare. Like I'd have, say, at the top 16, 32 players, surely there can't be many that that don't. Lean into the sports psychology a little bit, at least.
5: No, no, but it's more the other way. It's more still, still, really? quite, still quite rare that you have. You know, you obviously have coaches, like even my own coach. We say Chris Henry, he obviously, you know, deals in the mental side as well. But Mark Allen has a sports psychologist, but but just people that have just a sport, sports psychologist. A lot of them still wouldn't have coaches. It's only last maybe ten years that the coaches has kind of become become a thing. And um, so Snooker was always kind of a little bit behind behind that. I remember even like as a, as a kid, like if if somebody had a coach. You know, remember like, oh look at your man, he has a coach. would <laughs> you be pleased if he got beaten? You know what I mean? So snooker has slowly but surely progressed, and that's going to come, and that's even seen now. And again, you know, Sullivan was the standard bearer with the fitness, how fit he is, uh, with his diet. You know, um, so that
3: more and more is, is becoming a thing. You think they would be looking though at the younger players will be looking at Ronnie and Steve Peters and the work he's done with Peters and gone right. Well, Ronnie's clearly successful. Steve Peters has clearly helped him win a, a number of those world titles. So. Yeah. You think they'd all be heading that direction then? I'm surprised to hear that there's not more.
5: Yeah, no, it, it is getting there, but it has, it has been slow. And as I said, you know, over the years, there was, it was known it's slowly but surely coming in or being accepted or um, starting to get feared, feared as in, oh, he is working with a coach. But I said it, it is slow progress with that. And now the coaches really just about enhancing the quality of the practice as opposed to really significantly changing technique. I suppose the better you are, it's, it's less to do with technique because you can generally play. You know, if a lot of the time, you'd be more, if you make changes, you are probably just really finding a different way to play rather than maybe being any better. But the, the transfer you're looking for is that to play like you do in practice in matches. You know, that's, that's ideally what you want because, again, you look at everybody in practice, you know, we all look at a million dollars and think, like, how does he ever miss? How does he ever lose? Yeah, But then when you go to play, then your mind you know you just tend to get in your own way or you know i I certainly found that myself you're trying to maybe control things or trying to over trying was certainly something for me so because you're coaching now right yeah yeah the last year or so. that's a a really interesting (laughs) transition to be making and um
2: now when you're coaching do you think geez i really wish i'd had somebody helping me do the things that i'm doing for other people now
5: yeah yeah absolutely yeah because um, it wasn't basically when I started playing if your coach or somebody was basically whoever's the best player in your club you got a little bit of advice from that That was that's what it was Yeah, there's nothing really um, it was on maybe the 80s a guy called Frank Callan he coached Davis in the 80s Henry in the 90s right. a good pedigree there yeah, yeah. and yeah. I did uh, in Back the early TV. 2000s I did start working with him and I did kind of change my cue action because I felt I could get better or whatever so that that by the stuff I learned as a player has uh, in trying to improve as a player, going into the coaching has helped. You know, but Jay, yeah, you're, you're even telling people stuff and just rattling it off and going, yeah, that's good stuff. And you're been like, yeah, 30 years ago or 20, 30 years ago, I wasn't thinking it. Or, or I'm telling them stuff, but it's as much because I didn't do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, consistently that's, as I would have liked That's you know? the benefit of it, isn't it? Yeah. I, I presume snooker players get the yips. Yeah, that c- that can happen. Um, um, yeah, I have known players. Not Patsy Fagan certainly had that that's what done his career with the rest actually he just had it with the rest it's rare enough but yeah it has happened full of positives aren't you 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 get the value of the coaching then because like if
2: if that can happen in a sport then you need to work to prevent it yeah exactly Yeah,
3: and there can be players who can be over coached it's probably a personality thing because you look at Luca Bricell he he seems to just get down in the shot so quickly he of course uh, thinks about it but Completely the polar opposite of Mark Selby in that he gets down in the shot and he's just playing. He's doing uh, as little thinking perhaps as, as is possible.
5: Yeah, exactly. Um, Very, very decisive. Because that's, um, again, that's something I kind of struggled a bit with. But generally, 99 times out of 100, when you first come to the table, the shot you first see is the shot to play. It's rare that that changes. Again, sometimes, you know, it's more important to be decisive rather than correct. Mm. Whereas Selby, to be fair, and actually I thought Mark Allen has kind of slipped into that little piece. uh, Because he's generally very quick... um, Attacking player, he's kind of second guessing himself. I don't think it's been to his uh, advantage. You know, he's trying to be looking for the what you would say the correct
3: shot. Yeah, but, you know, it's very. He got early. dragged into Selby's game a bit, Alan. I, I felt in the semi final that that slow, what 29, 30 second average shot yeah. time, like whereas Briseel just. Well, well, having said that, when it got back to sixteen fifteen to Bruxelles last night, you probably felt that Selby was going to go on and win
5: yeah it's amazing like with Selby like he's 16-10 down normally he'd need to be knocking the telly off like it's over with Selby you still think it's every chance here and again as a player probably Brucell his reputation you need to actually probably realise a way for him to come back so Selby's thinking about coming back and so is Purcell. Um but now it's great. I thought what Mark Allen has is that the style of play, I think Mark himself was happy enough to go toe-to-toe, have longer frames. It wouldn't necessarily suit Mark Allen, I don't think, mm-hmm. as much as Selby. But also but Luca Purcell, A, he's quicker, but also uh, Mark Allen would play like a thin safety and keep the pack together, whereas Luca Purcell's first chance would play a thick safety. So that then forces Selby either to go for one, or Selby's next shot is harder, because mm-hmm. his safety has to be better if potentially Purcell can put five or six reds, whereas if it's a tight pack. And again, what might be a shot, the play- long pot the players might refuse or mightn't get. Luca's going to go for, and if he's playing well,
3: he'll get a high percentage. So puts a greater pressure on your. On your own game, you know. I think Roy Keane was there. Was the yeah, at the Crispool at the weekend. Or yeah, yeah. He was certainly there on sun, Sunday night. We got the he got the session in with the with the Selby maximum break, which wasn't a bad one. Oh, yeah, yeah. to get to. But i
5: you fact, imagine with the slow, if there was <laughs> the Allen and uh, Selby, I mean, yeah, a yeah. view so. Jesus, yeah,
3: he'd probably say Selby was just doing his job. <laughs> for yeah, the, doing his job. <laughs> but I mean, the, how do you put that achievement into context to get a? It's with the first ever time. There's been a maximum break in a in a world final, which is yeah. very very impressive, and it, it's a first one four seven at the Crucible for Selby generally. So maybe put that into context for us. Like that that's quite an achievement.
5: Yeah, it's brilliant. It really, is, I said in the final with the, with the pressure that's there and the crowd, and to be fair, his cue ball control was so good. Who's only just? He never looked like never looked like missing. You know I me mean? because even when you thought, okay, when he maybe gets down to the colours, the pressure might kick in. You know, and then even when he's put the pink and he's going you know gonna the messing with his tongue and he's stuck on the black. You know I me. Mean? Whereas you're still you're still like, make sure you popped the black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, look, you look pretty foolish if you miss the black. But uh, now it's fantastic to keep because from from earlier, your mind just can get ahead of yourself. Like, so even in practice, sometimes you could be, you know, you're on 64 and you start getting a little bit ahead of yourself, mm. which could slow you down and tighten up, but it, no, it's fantastic. It's a bit wild that um,
2: Purcell wins, having won the first round 10 9 and then having been so far behind Ronnie, <laughs> who you just yeah. think is, is like going to cruise to this and then going to, mm. you know, ultimately that the winner took that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, is that just a sign that this guy has something very unique and we could see him win multiple, or is that like this is his week he should really enjoy this because this is never going to happen again lightning struck multiple times across the course of the two weeks
5: yeah no I don't think it's that if I put a number I'd say he could maybe win two or three Right. I don't think he's seven or eight but I mean since he was 13, 14 like we've all heard about where there's this kid in Belgium and I think players have been going Hendry might be going over to exhibitions and he was hammering them and then at 17 he made his first time at the Crucible so it's more being delayed right? you know you're you more at 17 thought could he be the youngest ever world champion you'd say uh, it was the maturing
2: except it didn't feel that way from the stories he was telling us You know, yeah yeah exactly but
5: yeah look r- real real nice guy real quiet guy um, but again always stayed in the general consensus the fact that he stayed in Belgium because again even like myself and Ken and others you had to go to England you had to be playing the, the players to improve to raise the standard but he's always stayed on his, on his own and even when he was at home, it wasn't like he was even practicing with other players, so it was a lot of solo work. Yeah, and generally, if you do too much solo work, you know it doesn't kind of work. So, um, but again,
3: it, it's work, it worked for him. You know, it's like the tap open because he, he he's been playing at the Crucible for what, eleven years now. Yeah, never won a game, and yeah. ne- never won a game. Always first round exit. So, and it was as he mentioned last night afterwards, like Ricky Walden 10-9 first round could have easily lost that match yeah. in the decider, yeah. but it's like the tap opened.
5: Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. When he won the first, it was the shades of, it don't know, for if you're old enough, the Joe Johnson.
3: Mm, he, he had, had a
5: he, Yeah, he had that couple of those couple of weeks just flying under no pressure. Of course, beat Steve Davis in the final. And we haven't had a kind of a Joe Johnson winner. You know, maybe Sean Murphy, a little piece in
3: 2005.
5: Mm. Um, so one was kind of due, but I mean, not disrespect to, to Joe Johnson because he won the Worlds, but Luke is a far better player than... than um, you know, it's not quite a case if that was his week and yeah, you know, okay. good night. nice no, he's okay, so we should super talent. And again, he's still at 20, twenty-eight. So
3: should mention before we finish. Fergus been inducted into the Irish Snooker Hall of Fame. In Congratulations. Congratulations as well.
5: Yeah, yeah Sunday so was I was quite proud of myself. For quite that. An achievement, proud. isn't it? Yeah, no, I was I was I was pleased actually because there was a ceremony and um, like my family came, whatever my wife and mum and dad. And Angus McInally was kind of he's involved the. Snooker billets Association so I was up there it was, he asked me a few questions I was delighted because I said if I'd have started speaking I'd probably still be crying you know? <laughs> so I was delighted just kind of distracted me but no I really was it was a lovely ceremony the kind of you know, picture on the wall like see Ken got uh, inducted last year so now I really was pretty have stuff with that.
2: To be fair, great. Well, we wish you the very best with uh, the coaching and everything else that's coming as well. Fergal, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks Fergal. Thank Fergal, Fergal gives some thoughts on the uh, World Snooker Finals. There, some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you to watch or to listen to. Rather, the football pod, our GA manager reaction from both hurling and football at the weekend, and Keith Tracy speaking in the aftermath of um, Spurs doing Spurs things. You can follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for whatever you want there. Uh, after the ads, Sarah Donovan on the weekend, turning. Back after these.
7: You're listening to OTB AM. AM. He's got O'Shea in behind. And this is the clincher. Oh, you
1: bet it is. It's a for Arsenal, And Merson has got it. And it's the Arsenal legend, Paul Merson, and UEFA Champions League winners, John O'Shea and Wes Brown. And they are coming to Dublin. He gets across it. Brown! Myself and Joe are going to be hosting a very special UEFA Champions League Roadshow in partnership with Just Eat. It's on May 3rd in the Mansion House in Dublin. It is going to be a cracking night. It's an exclusive off-air event. So if you want to be there, get onto offtheball.com forward slash events. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave
2: or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Right, loads of live comments uh, pouring through on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Shane says, I don't condone what Klopp did. He, uh, he should be in the stands for a couple of games. Not a good image for kids. Michael says, Leinster's performance is really impressive. The mindset seems there to win this year. Uh, Shifty lads, should they release the recording to prove Klopp was lying in your opinions, lads? Uh this uh, audio recording and stuff I'm I, I uh, look it seems to be a l- little bit of a storm in the teacup but Klopp is undermining the,
3: the 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 officials he's attacking them can't be doing that either it's all a game it, well, it, all, it all feels very planned from when Klopp does it doesn't it Like the, even the, the run down the sideline was like well, he's taking his moment he's, he's He's not doing a Jose Mourinho where he's running down, celebrating with the the Porto fans and players. He's running directly towards the official, which which is my issue. People in the comments are giving out, saying, oh, United fans, typical. Yeah. Giving out a bit jerking love. But that's not the case. Well, it is. Well, it, well, I mean... And it also is. I wouldn't like to see Eric Ten Hag running towards an official. I, I, I don't think it would be a good look for any manager in the Premier League. Because, as, as some people have pointed out... Roy Keane shaved head on David Ellery with all the rest
2: of the class of 92 behind him you <laughs> know ah, United <laughs> fans yeah you go you're all amazing this is all just tribal bollocks no I don't think so I don't think so you can't
3: run towards an official in any, in any sport well,
2: let's wait and see when when Ten Hag is fighting for titles possibly or, or, yeah. or you know his job what's club the... fighting for at the moment he's fighting for the ability to sign good players in the summer essentially uh, Brian Dillon says lads not sport related I had dad cast in my back pocket for years just in case one day I needed it I now have a seven week old, so I'm officially allowed to listen to a great show, as I would uh, hasten to add that many people listen to Diecast without having kids, and you may enjoy it more than those who do. Uh, Edward Freeman says, Paranoid and under pressure manager blames VAT. I don't know, VAR, I presume it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The tax is bad as well, though. No, um, sure. uh, look, all the managers are all blaming the referees at various stages. Uh, where were the no, no GA on Sky crew on Saturday? Watching Sonic the Hedgehog and on RTE 1 is where a ridiculous decision not to have those games covered. Edward Freeman says there's enough GA games on every weekend for RTE to show one on a Saturday and one on a Sunday. GA games shouldn't be pay per view. Uh, there definitely seems to be less uh, anger about the game uh, on Saturday not being on terrestrial television than there would have been if it was on Sky. Or was there? I don't know. I haven't seen the tweets about my old father who was unable to watch this
3: game because he didn't have access to it. That that trope seems to have died a death, has it? People just need to catch up with the technology, basically. Um, and even the Derry Monaghan match. like It wasn't on BBC, it wasn't on RTE, it was only on the GA Go, 12 quid to pay for it. Um, I'm sure the service is brilliant, but at the same time, it's just... The, the the one repercussion it has is it, it increases the atmosphere. There was an unbelievable atmosphere. There was a moment in the first half of that Derry Monaghan match where Rory Gallagher is uh, berating the officials, and the officials come over, give him a yellow card. Loud cheer from Monaghan fans in the uh, uh, in the stand when that when that happens. I think there was a little bit of banter back and forth between Derry Monaghan fans. Probably only added to by the fact that the game wasn't on TV and so many people were there. Uh, good weather in Oma as well. So I see people's argument that people, not everyone has the luxury of being able to attend these matches, but it would be nice to have the option of watching them, wouldn't it? Without uh, paying for it, I guess, directly. Uh, we,
2: we, maybe we'll come back to that, because uh, it is time for us to turn our attention to the weekend. Hurling. Sarah Donovan, is with us. Sarah, good morning to you. How are you?
8: How are you, lads? Big smiley head here in Cork. <laughs> Delighted with the weekend.
2: Yeah, it, it couldn't have worked out much better for Cork. Um, maybe we'll start with Cork. It's the most recent uh, sad Davy is not uh, a regular uh, character that we see outside of the late, late show appearances sometimes. Um, yeah. But he was pretty sad in the aftermath of the game.
8: He plays a great sad Davy, doesn't he? Very, very sad. Very, very uh, disconsolate, upset. Um, and actually reading his comments afterwards, I agreed with him in some aspects. They didn't turn up. They didn't have any energy. And I don't know, can I blame Davy specifically for not having any energy? But I can blame the tactics. Mm. And I think, first off, Dara Fitzgibbon, no one expected him to come into the setup the way that he did. He absolutely ruled the roost for the first 10 minutes for Cork. And possibly because we hadn't seen him in the league, I don't know if Davy had set up for him. And, and that's the first thing that I'm going to say. I'm going to give him one, I suppose, non-negative um, for what Waterford threw out on Sunday.
3: Turns out, Sarah, as well, being uh, over the age of 30, this gives me a lot of confidence, by the way, heading into my, uh, as I'm in my 30th year. But, uh Cahalan, Seamus Hornady, Conor Lahan, Patrick Horgan, all of them um, excellent. Um, Horgan in particular contributed, I think it was 13 points. So not bad. Yeah, but,
8: uh, yeah, I suppose, uh, I opened the examiner on Saturday morning, lads, and, and that's kind of a ritual in Cork, the weekend of a championship match. And... End McAvoy, damning headline, you know, brand new championship, same old faces. And I was going, God, that's a lot of pressure on the lads coming into this game. But I think Pat Ryan really worked it well because he had all the energy in the middle of the field with the likes of Dara Fitz, Brian Roach, who got player of the match. um, Shane Barrett had moved out the field. Luke Mead had moved out the field. And he kept Horgan, Lehan, Harnedy close to goal between the 45 and the end line. And that's where they did all the damage. So you there's a place for everyone in this team. And... It was a lovely mix of energy and, I suppose, experience in that Cork team on Sunday.
3: Roach and Fitzgibbon in the middle of the park, in particular, were excellent, Sarah. Now, Roach, in his full debut as well, probably deservedly gets him out of the match. Um, really good pairing that, that um, has been found there.
8: Well, actually, it was kind of a mix because it was Dara Fitz was kind of playing centre forward. Luke Mead was pulled out as a third kind of midfielder. And I suppose the three of them um, made a massive difference there in that midfield. And Waterford couldn't get a run on them at all. But what was interesting was the space that Cork managed to find themselves in. And because the energetic players were making so much space, then the likes of Horgan and Lehan were able to ghost into those, I suppose, pockets and, and tip off the scores. Were you surprised that
3: Davey took so long to make the changes? We were talking before the show today, but Austin Gleeson in particular. um, he He took his time.
8: It's been a funny one all year because he's been bringing Austin Gleason into games to kind of change games. And I'm saying if he's well enough to change a game, then he should be well enough to start. I don't know what the fixation is with bringing him into games. Um, it's hard as a player to come into a game and try and make a change. And certainly when you're six, seven, eight points down to try and get a foothold. But at half time, he whipped off Mikey Kiley. He whipped off Tom Barron. Players straight in. But I suppose they had that purple patch after half time where they scored three points and look it wasn't all gloss for Cork you know they lived on their nerves some great saves from Patrick Collins uh, two very well one very fortuitous uh, save from Damien Catalan up the back of his helmet from a Stephen Bennett shot you know Waterford if they had got the goals when they were pushing for them maybe they would have had a canter in the last 10 minutes but I don't know disappointment outright because the game never took off
2: that's exactly what Cork wanted though right like uh, keep the team at arm's length it's a brilliant start to the championship for them because there's plenty for them to work on and maybe Waterford are gone at this point. And so, therefore, it's kind of 50-50 at worst that they're going to be in the All-Ireland series. Like, sometimes it's really bad starting late after everybody else, but sometimes it's really great starting late after everybody else.
8: Well, if you look at, I suppose, how much energy they expended as a unit, as a group, like... they didn't expend as much energy as Waterford did the week before against Limerick or Clare did against Tip. So now they're going into next Saturday night, six days later, not as bruised as every other team. The only issue with Cork is that they're low on defenders. So they only had two defenders in their uh, subs last Saturday or last Sunday um, uh, Tim O'Mahony and Cormac O'Brien. And the lads who I suppose we would have expected to see around the team who'd been kind of showing up in the league are injured and won't be back for a while. So if something happened to Cork, Um, in the way that it happened to Sean Finn, say Cork don't have the same firepower uh, right now in their defence. And they will be tested by Tip on Saturday. And I am nervous about that because Tip are goal-hungry, scored five against Clare. And I'd say they'd be excited about taking on that Cork defence on Saturday night.
3: What do you say about Waterford, Sarah? Because it, you'd have to say it's concerning. I think it, someone had pointed out they, they haven't scored a goal in 105 minutes of championship uh, hurling. It's 11 defeats and 13 in those round-robin matches as well. So when you look at the, the strength in depth in their squad on paper, all of these stats and facts are surprising.
8: Well, what let them down last week against Limerick was their accuracy, their shooting. You know, late on they had chances to win the game and, and they didn't take them. And again, against Cork... They had three, four chances for goal and they just weren't accurate enough. They, you know, they weren't clinical enough. So to that point, I spoke in the league and I was quite critical of Waterford and Davey in the league saying, God, they're trying mad things and they're going to try and marry so many things. I don't know if they're going to be ready for championship. And with the talent that you're talking about, Shane, maybe it needed just for them to step back and focus on the basics in the six or eight weeks leading into the championship rather than try all of these mad different puck-out strategies and, because ultimately they were in games they just couldn't actually finish them off.
2: And yet they were so close to knocking Limerick over and it turns out Limerick were right there for the taking. You know, the softening up that John Kiley spoke about in the aftermath of that game <laughs> has it worked? Were they a little? Were they somehow softened up by, by all the talk of six in a row before they've done the four?
8: Well, you know what? I... I physicality, the intensity, the attitude. There's too many cameras on this Limerick team in the league is what it looks like because they've felt under massive pressure in the way that they've been, I suppose, taking teams on, right? Did anyone feel like on Saturday night that Limerick were actually looking for protection from the referee and not Claire? Because it felt to me like every time Kyle Hayes came out with the ball, he was pleading with the referee with Cullum Lyons for a bit of support or safety because he was getting mauled by Clare. And basically what Clare did to Limerick was pushed him out, like drove at them, um, hounded them, delayed them, wouldn't let them out. Uh, Great stat from Ray Boyne. I've worked with Ray Boyne a couple of years ago with Dublin. And he's fascinated with the tackle, hook, block stats in matches. And we used to always be trying to hit 90 tackles, hooks, blocks in a game. You'd you'd get to 70 and you'd be absolutely bet, right? That's that's the energy that was expended to try and get to those stats. And he had a stat up Saturday night. uh, Clare, 113 tackles, hooks, blocks. (laughs) Limerick, 102 tackles, hooks, blocks. So as energetic and intense as Limerick were, Clare just steamrolled them.
2: And in the end it's only a point right so like that's the sign of a really great team not playing very well everybody not fit keen Lynch goes off at half time Hegarty what's going on we're not sure uh, so we'll see like
8: I, He's I, the most off colour I, I agree he, Hegerty is definitely the most off colour and there was a stage last in on Saturday night where he lost the ball it pans out and, and he's standing with his hands on his hips and he doesn't make any effort to run back. And I went, oh God, this game is in the melting pot and you've tuned out. Whereas Tom Morrissey, Will O'Donoghue, absolutely outrageous uh, 70 minutes from both of them. They were absolutely impeccable. So I, I would say this Limerick team learnt a lot about themselves on Saturday night. And I'd be afraid. I would. <laughs> I, I think they've got three weeks now. Carolyn Curry is always talked about as, you know, a real big, important part of this team. And. She's got three weeks to work on. I suppose the the confidence that um, they've possibly lost from from this defeat.
3: I'd I'd be along similar lines. I've, even Sarah, when John Kylie says afterwards, it's a very downbeat dressing room in there. And yeah. picking oh, I'm just taking of those Limerick lads in there. All they need is a is a little bit of fire in their bellies and an excuse to, to push on. Because people saying, "Oh, this result is going to save the summer." All of a sudden, Limerick maybe are are fallible. But no,
8: I, I, I yeah, I agree. I think that. The way he said it, he said it, it hurts like it like it did before, and he's referring to that the suppose, chasm of time where Limerick weren't winning All Irelands, mm. and it just took one result for that Limerick team to feel absolutely you know deflated. So I'd be, I suppose the only other issue here is the likes of Sean Finn the likes of Kean Lynch and we saw how integral Keen Lynch was in the semi-final of the league and the final of the league and how he opened up the spaces for Aaron Gillan and Shamie Flanagan the last two games he's really struggled because as we said if you push up on him he doesn't have the time to make the space for the lads inside and that has resulted in them not being able to get scores from play like their scores from play has gone way down in the last two games and that's I suppose something that could be an issue if Keen Lynch was to stay out of the game for two, three games well, the with this hamstring injury
2: The analysis mm-hmm. over the last number of years has been that you've got to basically score 30 points if you're going to beat them but that's not the case anymore so I'm not convinced I, I, I was like I actually thought the Waterford game was the perfect thing for them in that they've had a bad performance they've seen tactically what teams are going to try and do to them and they're going to learn from that and emerge last week and they didn't emerge that's the thing so I actually like now I'm putting this narrative retrospectively going uh, Kylie's pissed off because he feels like something has slipped he's seen it Waterford who it turns out aren't very good put them to the pin of their collar Claire. Like let them back into the game with a consolation goal in the last second, which took a little bit of the gloss off the scoreline. But now like, they're up against us, you know. I, I would, I would say anybody who's left, I would say Galway, Kilkenny Cork, Tip, Clare will fancy a chance against Limerick in Croker. Going, we're going to be the ones that stop you.
8: Clare showed a lot of, I suppose, their intensity in, in beating them the last night, right? there was certain challenges in the game from Claire's point of view that I felt were on the edge and I know lads love being on the edge and and talking about those challenges but like Peter Duggan's challenges on the full back line coming out uh, Barry Nash being pinned into the corner Kyle Hayes being dragged down half rugby style at times I don't know if other referees are going to allow other teams to to be that intense and to be that impactful we'll say Uh, Kylie talked afterwards about uh the forwards having a lot of contact on I I don't know did he pick that up in in the post-match interview and what he meant was they were being pulled and dragged and I think as the season progresses referees are going to be very wide to all of the pulling and dragging that's going on and they'll start to have to bring in back those frees again and I suppose make it a little cleaner because it wasn't clean on Saturday night it was brilliant but it was hellfire.
2: I, 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 I'll I be interested to see, right, because I do have this kind of sense that hurling referees are like the biggest alpha dogs in the GAA world who don't give a shit. They they don't care. You could be bleeding. They they could be bleeding themselves from a belt of <laughs> accidental belt of Tommy Walsh's hurl. And they'll be like, yeah, Grant, I don't care. Let's go. So I, I actually think that they're going, yeah, well, you're a limerick. You're three times win Stop whining. That's what I think is going to happen to that. So It's interesting Kylie didn't call it out in, in a, like, what's going on with this? It's like very, you have to subtly tell the referees that maybe they're not doing their job properly and there's such a crowded shower that they'll be like, well, screw you, John Kylie.
8: Do I, I, you know, I I have to agree with John Kylie after the game in the sense that uh, they were looking for protection. Like, they were literally pleading with column Lyons to say, look, this this isn't what what's happening here? And what they, Claire did to them what they've been doing to teams for the last 17 games alright and I just don't know if this is going to continue through the All-Ireland stages if we're going to have such fire and brimstone or referees are going to allow it that's that's my thing here okay. it, it was punishing it was punishing well
2: you know they have been uh, sometimes prone to that themselves so maybe it'll it'll balance itself out as, as we get deeper into the championship obviously we expect both these teams to still be there. Like We don't expect, suddenly, Limerick to go into a tailspin, do we?
8: Well, we spoke before about it, it being one of Cork, Clare, Tip and Limerick will not progress. And that's really disappointing because right now, those four teams are poised to do serious damage and could be All-Ireland contenders. So. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's a nonsense. It is an absolute nonsense that the championship is set up this way. It just doesn't make any sense.
8: No it doesn't and look I think I, I don't know how they're going to fix it because on the other side you've Galway and Kilkenny were able to you know taper down in front of 13,000 people and both be happy enough with the draw Yeah. and well, there's could, killings in the Munster Championship
2: We could go back to straight knockout in Munster and and Leinster and then have round robin series after where the best six teams or the best eight teams are involved like it's a, there's there's an easy fix for this if they want it it's just that maybe they don't want it so um and it'll get worse and worse as as the cork revolution continues with uh, Ben O'Connor midweek, um, the, the two Ben O'Connor's both being super impressive.
8: Yeah, look, I I was actually when that old faces t- tagline was in the headlines on Saturday morning in the Examiner, I was like, oh god, you know, our are, are cork not being revolutionary enough and, and should we be seeing more of these young guys but I suppose when you're looking at Brian Roach 21 years of age wins player of the match and you're looking at players like Kieran Joyce coming through uh, Podrick Power came on for Cork again the last day we probably have a couple of years of just patience in Cork to allow those young lads to develop and be as big as you know put on that bulk that 10-15 that kgs that they need to play And you're a notoriously
2: of, patient lot aren't you?
8: <laughs> what are we are, are we? how many years are we without it now 2005 yeah yeah will will we get to 20 year anniversary will that be will that be our lot I don't know I, I just I just feel like the Limerick set up still hasn't used Shane O'Brien or they still haven't used Adam English there's a couple of players there that did very well in the league for Limerick that haven't been seen yet from Cork's point of view Cork are relying still on the older players and is that because the younger players just aren't ready yet you know is is that what it is and are we very lucky to have the likes of Conor Lehan Seamus Harnsey and Patrick Corgan still willing to put it in Yeah, you know past 34 but then John Conlon you know what a, what a stalwart performance again yesterday so they're doing it in every county and uh, I suppose until Cork are ready to hand over the mantle to the younger guys then we have what we have and they've done enough against Waterford as, as I said their forwards outstanding Defensively, Cork will be under pressure on Saturday night against Tip and don't have, I suppose, the, the Richie Englishes to come in or the Mike Casey's to come in to do the job where Limerick have had the, the same issues with injuries.
3: We tend, Sarah, to talk a lot about uh, venues and locations picked for, for matches. Joe Canning was astounded speaking at the weekend about uh, Dublin-Wexford this coming Saturday at 5 o'clock being fixed for Croke Park. Um, I think he was making the point that as an away player, you hated going to Parnell Park. The atmosphere, the raucousness of it, are you surprised that the Dubs wouldn't want a game of such magnitude being played in, in the confines of Parnell Park?
8: Yeah, so we've always played our home games in, in Parnell Park with Dublin over the years, and like team big teams came to, to Parnell Park to play us in, in the Camogie side, and we'd Cork in, in Parnell Park, we'd Kilkenny in Parnell Park, and we were able to, I suppose, give them, uh, we were able to challenge them in those games because it, it felt like it was our, uh, it's hard to explain, but it, it was like your... A place that it was impenetrable, right? And and there was a real confidence in that. Now I was in Croke Park last year in the during the Welsh Cup, and Wexford played Dublin, um, and February game, Dublin absolutely destroyed Wexford. It was a cricket score, um, and I don't know, is it that's possibly playing on Dublin's minds and that they did really well in that space then against Wexford and they cut them open because of their pace and because of the way they were able to spray the ball they have had success in Croke Park and they have won Leinster title in Croke Park it's possibly that they don't see it as a disadvantage and that they actually enjoy playing there
2: and and maybe they feel like if they're going to go deep at any point they're going to have to get used to that and start to lean on the same advantage that the footballers have uh, which is obviously paying dividends for them and has done over the last um, 20 years Uh, a a quick word about the galway Kilkenny game Um, Mm. like they're definitely both genuine All-Ireland contenders for Galway to come back the way they did in that second half the long range point taking that they were doing before the the final equaliser even that was Limerick-esque
8: yeah and you're looking at the i suppose that physicality and intensity and re- be able to bring the ball to ground win it break up the line and you know as you said strike the ball 50 60 yards and be accurate because there's been a bit of that over the last while in in, in teams suffering because they haven't been accurate enough but my i suppose thought from the game was does henry shefflin take off conor, Lee Han- conor Whelan a Connor wheelan and bring on a championship debutante on the 69th minute if it's knockout he doesn't mm-hmm. he has the luxury in that game knowing that they are absolutely going to progress out of the Leinster Championship into the All-Ireland Series and he's able to bring on Declan McLaughlin on the 69th minute like it's a completely different championship it's it's, it's pulled apart um, and they're, they're very lucky that they're able to experiment like that because now Declan McLaughlin has that in his armour for the next day out he's you know he knows that he's done that and in Connor, the highest pressure
2: moment Connor Whelan's been taken off so like that's a <laughs> rocket under under him in training as well so yeah. absolutely
8: and they did the same with like Liam Collins was brought on on 65 minutes and I've been very impressed with him all through the league Shefflin has been brilliant in giving those players exposure during the league and was able to give them that exposure on Sunday because it was a knockout you probably be, really, really lucky. You'd
3: be optimistic as uh, if you were a Goa supporter, Sarah, considering that third quarter, they looked like they were going to ship a serious bit of damage in that second half, and at, at one point I think like, Kenny were maybe five points ahead, so the fact they that went Goa could come back... Yeah. six, even, sorry, yeah.
8: Yeah, yeah they, went, they went six ahead, and look, you know, when you've got, like, say, TJ Reid and Mossy Cohn firing, obviously Mossy came on at half-time, and, like, interestingly from Derek Ling's point of view, he... It didn't look like he played his starting team or or his best fifteen I would say. Mm. Um, I think I think he mixed it up and he was giving lads a chance and, and giving other lads kind of game time. So I think both teams were shadow boxing in that one um on Sunday and I suppose from Galway's point of view and from Henry Sheffin's point of view it was important not to leave Nolan Park, you know, without a point.
2: We'll leave it there. Thanks a million.
8: Thanks, Les.
2: Sarah Dunham will give us your thoughts there on the weekend's hurling. It is 9.34. A couple of quick comments for you. Shane says, Claire may have beaten Limerick in a round-robin game. Wait until Claire gets to the serious end of the season. They're too soft. I didn't see any softness on display. Nah. Uh, I mean, that's certainly not an accusation you can make with too much confidence. I don't think you can say. I mean, the the last year's semi-final against that performance against Kilkenny will hang over them um, until they win that Style of game or until after a letdown, like I mean, they obviously did come back from the Monster final defeat last year to get back to the semi final. So, anyway, uh, Ronan Pine is complaining Did Sarah not see the free count from Claire Limerick on Saturday night? Column Lines did not remotely give Claire any special favours. The opposite was the case, if anything. Free count doesn't automatically reflect, you know, you, you don't maybe you don't get called for two thirds of the stuff Mm. that you're doing Uh, the Munster Championship is hell for leather teams come out battered says Shane meanwhile the Leinster Championship is a series of challenge games it's not even uh, it's not a very even championship it isn't it isn't and you know if Kilkenny or Galway are to win it this year uh, I'd be interested to see what the hierarchy in Munster thinks about what the right thing to do is because obviously the Munster Championship is so amazing and generates loads of finances for the uh, Munster Council Mm. And so, are they going to say, "Oh, we'll have fewer games and we'll we'll make the pot more evenly spread"? They probably aren't. No.
3: I, I Should the decision be a money decision? decision? Should it? I often wonder in five, ten years will we be looking back at the at hurling and football championships of of today going? Jesus, remember, remember we did that. Remember how ridiculous that was in both Gaelic and hurling. Uh, I think um, now we're going to have a lot of matches in, in Gaelic football this summer. We'll see how it goes. Will we enjoy it? Probably, but is it the right answer? Probably not. But yeah, there's, there's answers there that, that certainly won't be, I guess, fixed in the next two or three years. Uh, Flying Hellfish 99
2: says, Formula One in the red, the racing back here was a procession. Red Bull are so dominant, I'll sell you my
3: tickets to Silverstone, Shane. I'll take them off you, for sure. Silverstone's on my list. The bucket list, yeah, Perez won in, in Baku. It's always a street race, it's a bit, bit of excitement, but yeah, I, I think the Red Bull dominance at the moment is. This, it, Formula One has the, the Dublin problem, where Dublin were winning all those All-Ireland's. So it's just, it's a little bit boring at the moment. Uh, Shane and Column like, no issue with Fergie, the biggest
2: bully in football history, banning the BBC for catching his nepotism. But sure, Liverpool manager celebrating a goal.
3: Tut tut, says Peter M. I, I never said he wasn't a bully either. Ferguson was a bully. The same way, and, and Ferguson did what Klopp did. I would give out about it as well. There's a lot of water battery um,
2: from those guys there about the. Well, oh, you never said about Ferguson, but they have actually said some stuff about Ferguson in the past too. But you haven't listened to every single second about what they've ever had. Um when they're criticising Klopp, should they say oh by the way mm-hmm. I'm going to go back historically and re-litigate the, um, the various instances I'm just winding them up because um, it does seem a little bit tribalist this morning but anyway uh, the GA is suffering from a rural urban divide which is rarely discussed Dublin success can be attributed to increased urbanisation of Ireland's population yeah but the town clubs should be getting better in all of the other counties as well and that should have an impact um, that's a, a, a long-standing sociological Uh, survey that we need to do on that before we get to the answer Um, The Dubs don't care what the media says Jared, didn't they bring back Cluxon recently without telling you says Joe Sullivan not quite sure what that's in reference to and J.P. Wright voice actor says brave performance from Kildare who deserved to compete for Sam fun fact, Kildare were first winners of Sam and have won more All-Ireland titles than Mayo and Monaghan combined and uh, Monaghan have never won the All-Ireland so that's perhaps unsurprising we're going to leave the show there that's it Uh, that's it a mic drop from J.P. Wright Thanks very much for that. Uh, Liverpool were better all over the pitch. They dominated for 20 minutes and Spurs on top for the rest of the game, says Bobby Dwyer. Klopp lost his shine, says Michael. Awful energy off him for the last two years. Uh, There you go. We leave that there. Tielemans was absolutely abysmal last night, says Neil McEnany. Just wanted to do that one because maybe he's just on the beach and he's like, he knows that he's getting a move to another Premier League team because Tielemans was one of the highest rated players outside the top four clubs, top six clubs over the last couple of seasons and is currently not. So maybe he's feeling... Maybe he needs to put in a few performances in the last few weeks to remind everybody or maybe the deal is already done and his bank account is grand. OTBAM with Gillette Labs got the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now on tomorrow's show. A reaction to the weekend's Gaelic football. Uh, Tommy Rooney's on holidays at the moment so that's why we don't have a performance ranking for you but Anthony Moyes will be in. Power rankings, power rankings rather. Keith Wood on the rugby, former Waterford Hurling manager Derek McGrath joins us, Basketball Ireland CEO John Feehan, Tim Stillman on Arsenal-Chelsea from tonight, Uh, more on the Wolfsburg defeat and plenty more besides. Right now, the best of the Sunday papers. Have a terrific Tuesday. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.